Hello, sports fans, and welcome back to the Bikes for Death podcast. As always, my name is Patrick, and I'm your host. And we are fresh off of the second iteration of the East Texas Showdown. By all accounts, it was a mega success. We didn't get any reports of anything but positivity, to be honest, uh, which is uh, just incredible. We learned a lot this year. Going from 42 people to 98 people uh, is a lot more people. <laughs> I think I underestimated like uh, how much additional work and how many more people that is and, and what all is entailed with running an event with that many people. But that is not a negative comment. That is just a, uh, a learning opportunity. And I can't wait to come back bigger and better next year. Emily and I have already been comparing notes and uh, we are well on our way to already preparing a much better event in 2023. We had absolutely perfect weather. The times were insane. We had Kuya that came out of Austin who blew the doors down on the East Texas showdown. That's the 380 mile route. And he did it in under 24 hours, uh, an official time of 23 hours and 54 minutes. So uh, come and get you some if you want it, because uh, he has thrown the gauntlet down. Um, another storyline this year was Indiana Schultz, who came all the way down from Illinois to do the East Texas Showdown. And when he got here, he told me that he was going to yo-yo the entire route. So if you don't know what a yo-yo is, essentially uh, Indy rode the entire 380 miles and then got to the Bullet Grill, took a short break to get some food and water, et cetera, et cetera. And then he was back out on the course, riding it in reverse in its entirety for a total of 760 miles. So uh, big congrats to Indy. He's the first person to ever take on this challenge and complete it. And uh, let's not forget that he was on a single speed, um, and he's not a longtime single speeder. He just started single speeding about four months ago. So as you'll learn on today's episode, Indiana is no stranger to long endurance bike rides. Um, he's done the Grand Gravel 500. He's done uh, American Trail Race, the Transamerica, all kinds of fun stuff. And uh, he was also on episode four of this podcast here, four and five actually, Tom Hughes and Indiana Schultz were on episode five, but I was actually going back and looking for that episode on Spotify and iTunes, and on Spotify, uh, the first 11 episodes aren't available, and on iTunes, the first 10 episodes of this po podcast aren't available, um, which was surprising. I've never taken them down, so actually I need to kind of look into that. Um, but the audio files are on bikesordeath.com. If you go to episode four, you can still listen to that episode way back in the day that I did with my friend Indy. It was so great to have him back. He's such a positive dude. He's nothing but smiles. And uh, it was good to see him back in the cycling arena. He's been kind of off the scene for a couple years uh, and... We'll get into all that during today's episode, but it was just great to have him back. I'm honored that he made the trip all the way down to East Texas for our little event, and really that goes to everybody. I mean, we had people from all over, from Florida, Montana, New York, Utah, Colorado, Arkansas. 
I mean, every all over. It was just crazy. I hadn't. I I'm beyond humbled and grateful that everybody came out to our little event. It was made supremely better by all the wonderful people that showed up. And uh, it really is about the people. I mean, I can draw squiggly lines on a map, but it doesn't really mean anything unless we have rad people showing up and throwing down at the East Texas Showdown. Uh, Yeehaw! Before we get to today's episode, let's take a quick moment to thank everybody that made today's episode possible, starting with our latest patron. Uh, This week, we have our newest patron is Larry Wagner. Thank you so much for signing up to support the Bikes or Death podcast. Uh, Patreon is the main source of income for Bikes or Death, and we really can't do it without support. That money goes to pay an editor and gas prices. I'm trying to get up to Moab uh, next weekend and uh, hook up with a very special guest or two. But honestly, gas prices are a little crazy right now, and getting and traveling is very expensive. So if you want to help these episodes keep on coming and you got a little extra change in your pocket, you want to support the work that we're doing over here, you can find out more and join Larry over at patreon.com forward slash bikes or death. Today's episode is also brought to us by a brand new partner, Athletic Greens. I started using Athletic Greens because I was looking for a solution to balance out all the nasty and the bad food that I'm usually eating when I'm on a bikepacking trip. Um, We all know that we're just subject to whatever food is available on route, and oftentimes it's gas station food, and it's not chock full of all the things that your body really needs. And so Athletic Greens has been a great resource for me to help supplement my diet and give my body the fuel and the energy that it needs to go out there and dominate some bikepacking trails. With one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptions to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. And Athletic Greens isn't just good for you. They're also a good company. They are climate neutral certified, and they purchase carbon credits that support old growth rainforests. And they also have donated over 1.2 million meals to kids just in 2020 alone. So if you're looking to step up your health game and maybe take some veggies on your next bikepacking trip or bikepacking race, Check out Athletic Greens, and to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one year of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash bikes or death. Again, that is athleticgreens forward slash bikes or death to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutrition insurance. Today's episode is also brought to us by my friends over at Ruby Coffee Roasters. Did you know that they're located in the small town of Nestleville, Wisconsin, and they have a variety of coffee options to fit your daily needs? 
You can check out their new certified organic whole bean coffees or browse their single-serve coffee options, perfect for long travel or even day trips. Ruby also offers customizable subscription plans, so you never have to worry about running out of coffee in the morning ever again. Personally, I absolutely love Ruby Coffee. Not only are they a great company, the owner's a bike packer, he's a cyclist, and I just love everything that they're doing, but they have a huge variety of coffee bean options to choose from. I like to try a variety of coffees. Probably my most favorite for bikepacking is their steeped coffee. Um, it is so good. I think it rivals most drip coffees. And I've been handing out samples for a while now, and I can tell you that 10 out of 10 bikepackers would also recommend Ruby Coffee Roasters in my unofficial survey. So if you'd like to try out Ruby, please do, but use this discount code, bikes or death, all one word, bikes or death at checkout for 15% off any coffee purchase or 20% off your first shipment of any subscription. That's bikes or death at checkout to get 15% off any coffee purchase or 20% off your first shipment of a subscription. All right, everybody, bills are paid. We really do appreciate all the support we get over here on the podcast because we love bringing you these episodes. If you love these episodes, make sure to show our advertisers some love too because they're the ones helping us bring these to you every single week. Now, before Indy headed back to Illinois and after his completion of the yo-yo, he swung by my house and we perched up on my couch, and had a nice little three-hour podcast. It's been far too long since I got a chance to chat with my friend Indy, and we took full advantage. I appreciate him taking the time to come and chat with me. It was super great to see him, and congrats, Indy, on becoming the first person to ever yo-yo the East Texas showdown route. You can add another notch in your belt of accomplishments, and I know that you are going to go on to achieve much, much more. Looking forward to it, my friend. Now, without further ado, let's have my friend Miles Arbor take it away with the Bikes or Death theme song. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your boss, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You let that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. So, how are you feeling? I feel really good. My legs are sore, but mentally I feel really well. Well, uh, that's probably about as good as you could hope for, I guess. Yeah. So I finished the race, which was the ultimate goal, and met a lot of really amazing people and just had an overall very good experience, which is about all you can ask for, I think, in events like this. Okay, so your legs are a little sore, and you've got blisters on the palm of your hands. One is about the size of a quarter and is protruding about a half an inch off your your palm. The other one's about dime size. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but no other no other ailments or not your ass. How's your ass feel? 
It, it feels pretty good. So the, the blisters came from, I think, on the single speed, the first day really trying to power up some of those hills and get the momentum with the handlebars as you're pushing down on the pedals. So you're trying to get that extra leverage. I think I had a little bit too much movement. I was getting a little too excited. Yeah. Um, with the saddle, my I, I just put a new saddle on there, actually. So this was the first long event I had with it. I, I switched over to an Ergon SMC Core saddle, which has some extra cushion to it. And it's, I had noticed on short rides, it doesn't quite line up with my ex officio um, underwear that I wear. So the those flat lock seams kind of line up on the sides. And that gave me some issues, but it wasn't something where I had to drop out of the race or um, just a little baby powder, work things out, you know. So it was a little uncomfortable, but I, it was never to the fact or never to the point where I couldn't sit down on the saddle. So I think that's something moving forward. I'll probably experiment with a few different types of um, new underwear moving forward. But I really like the saddle. Well, one of the questions we got uh, from one of your many fans <laughs> was about your Gooch Care routine. So <laughs> might as well get into it. It sounds like you don't wear a bib, just, just underwear or what? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I've done a few different long, really, really long races across the country and uh, kept going back and forth between uh, bib, no bib, bib, no bib. And then ultimately I decided no bib. So what I had discovered during my time on the 2018 Trans-American bike route was that baby powder was my secret weapon. And it was just like the last thing I tried. I was picking up vitamin A and D ointment. I was picking up um, all these different types of like gels and things to try and alleviate some of the saddle sores and the friction down there. And nothing worked. And finally, I tried baby powder. And that was, um, I remember doing a post about it. I was like, hey, racers, if you haven't tried baby powder and you're having issues, go for it. So, that seems to work really well for me. It just keeps everything dry. It alleviates friction down there. So it, it just, um, that that's what I use. And then personally on the multi-day events, I just found that taking care of the bibs is possible. But if you're someone like myself who prefers to sleep outside, you don't really have that option of, hey, I can get to the hotel room and I can clean up these bibs or I can hang them on a clothes hanger and dry them out. For me, it was more of um, getting like a bottle of hand sanitizer and washing them every night and then letting them kind of air dry. But if you're in a humid climate in the morning, you're putting back on like wet but clean bibs. So that yeah, feeling is like thing. something that you just never forget and you, ne <laughs> you never really want to do, but it's like a necessary evil if you are wearing bibs. Yeah. So I think you could go either way. I pref I, pref I think for me, my style is more manageable with the briefs. So are you carrying multiple pairs of underwear and, and changing them out? Are you mm -hmm. using like wool, mm -mm. anything special or just regular... You wearing whitey tight. What do you what do you no, got, what do you no, got going on down no, there? They, <laughs> they and this was you know trials and tribulations, and everybody's body is shaped differently. So I think it's important with 
like all gear, to try and, and figure out what's going to work best for you. For me, I found this brand called Ex Officio. It's their sports mesh give-and-go brief. Um, so it is a synthetic style. I only carry one pair. Um, when I went across the country for the American Trail Race, I mailed a second pair at like the 2,500-mile mark, Salida, actually 3,000-mile mark, and that was like, hey, I got a new pair of underwear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like Christmas oh, <laughs> for me, basically. But I've found that for, for me that that works best. I think moving forward, as I talked about, those seams rubbing on the saddle, I might try something like Smart Wool, something that is maybe a boxer brief and goes a little bit further down the sides because then that seam won't be meshing with the sides of the saddle. Yeah. But once again, like there's a lot of different options out there. What works for you might not work for me and vice versa. But that's my that's my brand ex officio mm-hmm. right now. I'm just picking up tips. I mean, you're right. Everybody's got to like figure out their own thing. I'm, I'm actually curious about the baby powder because that almost seems like it would create friction like what is it do you know what it's actually doing or what are you trying to like it like let's say you're chafing mm-hmm. would you put on baby powder because what i usually do is some kind of like camera on the ointment but it's like healing it's like a mm-hmm. like a, probably like a baby butt cream something yeah like the that. vitamin yeah. a and d ointments yeah. very popular yeah 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 so what the the baby powder does is it, it actually eliminates the friction it dries everything out and it allows, um, it's kind of like, uh, maybe this is a good way to think about it. Some people that are still using inner tubes with road bike racing used to put baby powder on the outside of their inner tubes to alleviate the friction between the tire and the inner tube. So it creates this little buffer zone and it it gets away the friction. The friction is gone. Yeah, have to so, try it. Yeah. I've um, never tried it. I'll just have to like put it on and see how it goes yeah so if you go to and it's great if you go to like dollar general family dollars every once in a while you can find a gas station that has it but they have little travel packs so you're adding a little bit of weight to your kit but essentially it is such a great way to take care of yourself every time say i'm stopping every 60 miles and it's a warm day out i'll just give a little couple poof poofs uh, outside of the gas station, you look a little strange for a second. I make sure I look around, make sure no one's looking at me, and just poof, poof, front and back. Um, <laughs> and it's just like you feel you feel great. I'm gonna try it. Yeah, I would recommend it. Um, I had the I've recommended it to a lot of people, and everybody that I've recommended it to said it was a game changer. All so right. if I can share anything from this podcast, it would be try some baby powder. Do you have stock in baby powder? That's all I'm I getting. I thought about it. <laughs> During the Trans Am, it was an epiphany. It was a game changer. I remember I was in, oh, the, the dreaded state of uh, Kansas. Yeah, hot, humid. I couldn't sit on my bike. Like, these saddle sores were just out of control. And then figured out that baby powder. And like I said, I shared it with the world. Like, I want everybody to know about it. If this can help just one person, which it has... <laughs> Then I've made a difference. <laughs> You're going to be helping thousands. I know? hope so. Yeah, lots, yeah. Of, lots of booties and coochies going to be thanking you. Yeah, later. <laughs> uh, man. If you can ride happy, then <laughs> why not? It really, I mean, dude, it's a. If you can, I mean, it. Almost every time I like open up questions, uh, you know, to the audience, like, what do you want to know? Everyone always wants to know about undercare mm-hmm. routine management. And I've asked this question a lot. A lot of everyone has different ways of doing it, mm-hmm. um, but it is it is a 
it's a subject that maybe uh, isn't discussed in a lot of like media outlets and stuff, you know? And so sure. people are always curious, like, how do you poop outside? You know, like, <laughs> what do you do with, you know, your undercarriage and yeah. like manage that and keep it healthy and happy and not infected and, yeah. you know, that yeah. kind of stuff for, you know, however long you're riding. I mean, we're yeah. talking about people that are bike for days and days and days and things get nasty. And so um, it's, it's an important part of a successful ride or race or whatever is being able to manage that. And I think you're right. I mean, everybody's got to figure out their own ecosystem and, and mm -hmm. what works for mm -hmm. them. Um, but like, I have never had too much problems with that until recently. I started getting chafing, like within the last year is the first time in my entire life I ever had chafing. And mm -hmm. I started using that A and B ointment stuff mm -hmm. that just put on and it seems to work. But what I don't like about it, everything's just like gooey down there, but I'm like, at least it's sliding and not rubbing, you know? Like yeah. That. And I think that was, that's the theory behind that is like, you, you'll eliminate that friction, but the multi-day events, it's too, I found it would just, as soon as it wore out, it, it would be like every 50 miles and I'd have to reapply and that's not sustainable. And it's, it's, yeah, it's gooey, yeah, <laughs> I guess gooey. you can say. And so I will say uh, real quick about the baby powder is, it for me it did work with the bib shorts too so if you're wearing bibs don't be afraid to use it um mine basically were white by the end of the race <laughs> you know so much baby powder Interesting. but you know for this race i was i always i think everybody's always curious and they're looking at everybody's kits and stuff like that so hey what's what are you what are you wearing and i saw a lot of bib shorts out there mm -hmm. i think i i saw maybe three or four people like myself who just had you know regular shorts on yeah so the majority of people will be wearing bibs it looks like i think so yeah i think yeah. that's the go-to for most people i mean mm -hmm. it's just what you're comfortable with mm -hmm. i i go in between personally it depends on what i'm doing i like wool underwear the briefs that kind of come mm -hmm. down and eliminate that seam wool everything in bike packing uh for me if i can get away uh get away with it so indy some people may not know who you are because you've kind of been like a little bit out of the cycling scene for a couple of years. Um, whereas like you've been referencing some of these bigger events that you've done uh, previously. And for people who don't know, you were on episode four and five of the podcast. Oh, gee. This is the exact <laughs> same cord. Um, you, look at the this cord. Yeah. See how it's bent. Tom, Tom Hughes did that. <laughs> Was it when we were drinking beer? Yeah. He, went up, he got up to get another beer. I don't know. He tripped over the cord. I kind of remember that. And it's still, it's still bent. Yeah. So that's from episode four. I love it. Yeah. Drinking beer and talking shit. Uh, yeah. It's, I mean, it's interesting, man. You're from Illinois, mm -hmm. but you've been down to Texas twice to do the Grand Gravel 500, which mm -hmm. is where we met. It's the event. I think in 2018, we both did it together. Yeah. Yeah, that and sounds right. And then you right. came back in 2019. Yeah, yeah. And I think I interviewed you in 20. Yeah, I interviewed you in 2019, but we met in 2018. Yeah, so it was like the beginning of bikes or dad. I mean, that really. episode four. I mean, that is that's that's yeah, right so, up there. So was it after your grand gravel that you started the bikes or death? <sighs> yeah, it yeah. was after. Yeah, you're like this is cool. I want to. Yeah, this it was with unrelated everybody. to the racing aspect per se, but. Okay. Um, you know, just I just love this community. I mean, uh, getting the people together when, when, like, you know, East Texas Showdown, Grand Gravel, it doesn't matter, but 
get everyone together and it's just a really amazing uh, group of people they come from all over all walks of life and uh, they always seem to be pretty interesting and awesome people. And, you know, when I started the podcast, uh, there was a lot of stories that I, uh, I wasn't hearing. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, mm-hmm. yours, for example. I'm like, who is this mohawk tattoo guy with a pink tutu coming down <laughs> to Texas? Uh, you've cleaned up your act a little bit, man. You got yeah. rid of all the tattoo. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lasered off all the tattoo. Uh, no, no tutu this year. No but, um, tutu. Yeah. yeah. I, but I had my Hal Russell t-shirt, which was my superpower, you know. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I always, I usually have someone that I'm writing for or some sort of purpose and I'm bringing them along on the ride with me. You know, it helps out there when you're going long distances and you're going to go through dark moments out there as we all know. So especially a Hal Russell, you, yeah. a Hal Russell on your mind. Mm. It's, it's hard to quit when you're wearing a Hal Russell shirt. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to guess, mm-hmm. you, know? you, you know, his famous quote, I know two things mm-hmm. I'm going to start and I'm going to finish. Yeah. That's all that's, I mean, that was his only thing. I'm going to start and I'm going to finish. And those are two big goals. I mean, like I, and I, I like that he says, I'm going to start because I brought it up in the race meeting um, that just getting here like is a win, you know, cause there's so many people that for whatever reason, whether they're busy or they're out of shape or, you know, they can't make the drive or they're scared, whatever it is. I mean, uh, just signing up and having the courage to take on something really challenging and difficult, um, is, is scary and it's hard for a lot of people. And and so really just like getting yourself to the start line, I think is a win. And then once you're there, the, the next goal is finish. It's like first get yourself there and then finish. And you know, how you do that is going to be left up to each, each person. But we had another writer this year, um, Alan Green, who was, writing uh in memory of Hal Russell as well. Yes. And uh he has a really neat story. He's he's a little bit older of a gentleman. Um I don't want to say exactly old, but not as old as Hal, but he's he's a little bit older and um I'm not saying cuz I don't remember and I don't want to like mm-hmm. <laughs> be off. I don't be wrong, but um essentially he was uh well last year he came and attempted to slow down and uh didn't have a good ride and 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 didn't didn't complete the ride and it really bothered him you know like it really sat with him and he came out this year just super determined and uh and did it you know um he he completed the whole thing and completed with a smile on his face and it's one of i don't know there's a lot of great storylines from this year honestly but I, I I just love to see it, man. I love to see, you know, somebody who uh, has has a struggle one way or another and then learns from it and comes back and gets that monkey off their back, you know. Like, it's such yeah. an important lesson to, like, not give up. Even when things, like, if, if you quit or if you have to get pulled out or something, like, shit happens. But use it as a tool, a resource, a learning opportunity, and come back and slay the demon. Absolutely. And and I think if, if I look back on, let's see, it's been about six years I've been bikepacking. I took two years off. But if I look at those, what I've learned during those six years, it has completely shaped who I am and how I deal with life on a daily basis. And and that's not just only through the biking aspect of it, but it's the people I've met in the community. 
um, these lifelong friends from around the world. Um, and that's what's so, so important and so special to me. So when I saw you had, you know, 50 people, 50 spots for the, sh the slowdown and 50 spots for the showdown, I'm like, there's going to be, uh, that's a hundred new people I can potentially meet. Like, how cool is that? So I was really excited by like the number of people, but, um, yeah, I'm so fortunate to have been in this sport for, for that amount of time. And what I've learned has been absolutely monumental. I have, I have a really good friend right now. He's going through a tough time and, uh, I've been trying to kind of like mentor him through it. And sometimes I hear what I'm saying and I'm like, where, where did that come from? <laughs> and I think about it and it's like, oh, it's because I've spent countless days by myself on my bike, having these conversations with myself and really understanding myself in a, on a different level, which I think translates into the rest of my life. And it's, it's a beautiful thing out there. And I, I think a lot of people get to experience that on a, on a route like yours. It's, it's just enough time, whether you're doing the slowdown or the showdown, it's, it's plenty of time to go out there. And you mentioned this before the race, like maybe slay some demons or work on some personal issues or maybe make some new relationships with people. You know, it's a very good opportunity for that. Yeah. So. Let's talk about, uh, let's just fill in some of your personal highlight reel in the cycling nah. cycling world real quick. You you remember all of them? I got them written down if you don't. Yeah, right. I've done, so I look back <laughs> I and it, you would. <laughs> it's so, okay, so it's so strange, first of all, because of COVID in the last like year and a half, like time for me, and I don't know if this is the same for you, but has really evolved differently the last two years I guess that's how I would explain it is I look back and it seems like a lifetime ago when I did the American Trail Race so real real quick uh American Trail Race was 2017 that was my first ever bikepacking event that was 5200 miles uh that's where I met Hal Russell uh, that's where I met Dylan Taylor uh Aaron Weisenheimer from Colorado Lindsay Shepard uh, met some really good people during that race. Um, I completed that, I think, in 35 days and some change. And, re and real quick, uh, let's because the American Trail Race is extremely challenging. Yeah. Only, I believe, 11 people have ever completed ever finished it. the entire thing. <laughs> and you and Hal being two of them. Yeah. You know, so it's... it's uh, Explain to people what it is because I don't. It's not running anymore, right? No, no. Yeah. So I was actually yeah. the the race director of it the last few years, uh, trying to help out Billy Rice and keep it going. But it is a fifty two hundred mile self supported bike packing event that started in um, Cape Lookout, North Carolina, off of uh, Harper's Island. So you actually took a ferry out to an island you camped out the night before the race and then the official race start was when the ferry came back over and picked up the riders now from that from that point on i think it went through 13 different states uh, but basically you started on the east coast headed west it was three hundred and thirty thousand feet of elevation gain the kind of the midway point was salida colorado which was at mile three thousand um now, if you look at the elevation profile, people always, and this is the same thing with the Trans Am, people always kind of see the big mountains in the West Coast, like the Colorado Rockies and stuff, and they think that's the harder part. But if you go to the East Coast and, and you actually select that part of the map profile, it's almost dead even. 
it just looks different because the peaks are, say, only 6,000 feet versus 13,000 feet. So if you're looking at the whole course on Ride With GPS, you think, oh, there's not, there's not a lot of climbing in the East Coast. But it's, I mean, it starts out pretty aggressive. Um, and the only unfortunate thing about that route was, I think, about the first a uh, thousand miles or so were gravel or uh, pavement hmm. before it got to the gravel. So you kind of had to work to get out of that pavement section. And then you were a little bit more in, into like the single track, the B roads, the gravel. But really that that's a race that just doesn't stop. <laughs> like <laughs> it seems like it goes on forever. And talk about yeah, 35 days. Talk about an opportunity to get to know yourself and live a different lifestyle. Um it, that like has shaped me in, in so many different ways. And it's it's a it's an opportunity that a lot of people I think aren't able to take because it's so long of a course. That's why we saw low sign-up numbers. Not everybody has. I think Hal completed it in sixty-two days. Right. When he started, he was um, he was averaging like a hundred and ten miles a day, and I think he would have finished right around the fifty-two or fifty-four day mark had he not had some issues that he ran into. Yeah. But <laughs> I, th- I was telling you this story about the Bullet Grill House when I first met him. We were everybody was waiting for the ferry. And I had spent six months training and researching everything I could, bikepacking.com, scouring Google. I had a, I have a scale at home. I'm like weighing things, like counting grams, like how do I get my bike as light as absolutely possible? And then I see Hal and he's sitting down and he's smiling and his bike looks like it weighs 80 pounds. <laughs> and in my head, I'm like... Oh, you're doing it wrong, bud. Like, and I was saying that about myself, not about how, like, oh, I've, I think I'm doing it wrong. So I went over and I talked to him and I'm like, are you Hal? And he's like, yeah, are you Indy? And I'm like, yeah. So we start, we get to talking and I'm looking over his bike and he just kind of chuckles and he goes, you know, I, I'm not quite as fast as you guys. I don't always make it to the next town. So I got to make sure I've got my tent and everything. Yeah. And, you know, sure as shit, like he didn't, he didn't stop. That was never his plan. He never had a plan B, I don't think. He just knew he he need he needed to carry what he needed. If he had if he had what he needed on his bike, he would be okay. Yeah. You know, and he knew that in 60 miles, 100 miles, whatever, there'd be another town. Mm. And he would work through issues and I, I, yeah, he was such a good ambassador for the sport with his his spirit and to show people that it's not always about going fast you know it's it's about completing the journey and that journey is going to be different for everybody mm-hmm. you know what are we working through out there what's our goal and you can go fast too like it's beautiful that's something that I struggled with for a very long time because I wanted to be good and I wanted to be fast and I eventually I learned that like there's all different types of bike packing. There's people that are going to stay in hotels. There's people that are going to have better bikes. There's people that are going to be sponsored. It doesn't matter. Like we're all, we're all out there to enjoy it on a different level. Mm-hmm. Right. And as long as you're out there, that's all that matters. That's something I, I struggled with a very long time to cope with. So anyways, that's the American trail race, right? Um, starts in Cape Lookout, North Carolina, finishes in Port Orford, Oregon. 
completely changed my life, opened opened my experience to different levels of bikepacking. And at this point in time, I kind of wanted to get sponsored. I'm thinking, hey, can I do this? I'm like watching Leo Wilcox all the time. I'm watching Mike Hall, um, Josh Cato, all these top level bike packers and thinking, hey, maybe I can do this. So I wanted to do, the next race I wanted to do was something with a little bit more exposure. So I did the uh, Trans Am bike race in 20, I said be 2018. And that's a 4,200 mile self-supported uh, road bike race. Yes, 2018. And um, I did I did really well in that race too. I didn't start off very well. I had some issues the entire route with my derailleur, um, trying to keep up with these these really fast riders. Road riding is a completely it's a different game, um, and I think it was about in Missouri. I had just passed Craig Pauly at a gas station, and it was so funny. I'll never forget looking at him when he rolled up, and the whole time I've been, like, trying to chase him down. And I see him, and he takes his glasses off, and his eyes are all puffy, and he's got, like, salt all on his jersey. And I'm just thinking, I have nothing but complete love and respect for this person right now. Like, oh, my God, how cool is this? And then you start thinking, oh, shit, I'm doing the same thing. <laughs> Anyways, it was it was maybe two miles down the road after that. I, I actually fell asleep on my bicycle on a two-lane road and scared the, the living crap out of me. Sure. So I ended up sleeping in the woods at, like, 3 p.m. during the day, the hottest part of the day in Missouri, 90 degrees, 90% humidity. And then I switched over my sleep schedule from then to ride – 10 hours on, two hours off, 10 hours on, two hours off, and and did that until the end of the race, which was really interesting. And it worked out well because I got to ride a lot during the nighttime. So um, that was a big race for me. Uh, I, finished, I, I finished in second place. I think for me, what made me most proud was that I was, I, I beat Mike Hall's time by like an hour, and then I was faster than Lael. And to me, that was just like, that was an honor. Um, I don't take it too seriously because like every year is a different event. Take take this year's East Texas showdown versus last year's yeah. completely different conditions. Yeah. So you can't say like, uh, I would be faster than those guys in a race, but it meant a lot to me because I do respect both of them a lot sure. as writers. Yeah, to have your name. Um, yeah, I was like, oh shit, my name is right next to Mike <laughs> Hall. Like, oh, I'm on the same like board as him. So, yeah, that's, I mean, you think is, about that like... That is an honor. I mean, yeah. Mike Hall is a... Both Mike and Leo are both uh, inspirational people. Unfortunately, Mike wasn't with us anymore, but, yeah. you know, I think his legacy and Hal's legacy... I hope continue to reverberate through the sport and, you know, what they left will always be here. I hope, you know, you, you look at, um, people still talking about Mike Hall is still re relevant. Yeah. He will never not be relevant in bikepacking. Uh, and he's, he was just such a, a good person and an amazing athlete. Like he's always going to be around, which is really cool. Like yeah. he, his spirit lives on through the race. You know, his uh, five-year anniversary of his passing was uh, Thursday night. This mm -hmm. past Thursday, yeah. and I had a, I had a memory pop up, and it was a picture of him on the uh, Iowa Pacific Wheel Race, and him and uh, Alexander Alexander Indian Pacific Wheel Race, Indian Pacific Wheel Race. Him and Kristoff was the guy that they kept like going back and forth. 
And there's just this picture of Mike Hall. I must, I don't know how long he'd been up for, but he had the puffy face and he's just, you can just like see the determination and grit in that picture. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to channel my Mike Hall for this, this next race. Be more Mike. Be more Mike. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah there was something about him. I think he really was the one who like opened up all of our minds to like the human potential kind of. Mm-hmm. I mean, he set so many records and I mean, we're still talking about, mm-hmm. you know, his records right now. And, uh, he, he went deep, you know, he, he was the one I feel like he was really like, um, like almost, what is the word? Like, uh, he's like just carving the way forward, you know, essentially like he's, he's like exploring new depths of sleep dep- deprivation and what the human body is capable of. And, pushing himself in ways that we have never seen before, you know, and we still haven't seen again in, in some aspects. And so, uh, yeah, I, he is the guy in my mind that like kind of put, pulled the cork out of the dam and let the floodgate <laughs> come through in some ways. Yeah. Cause I think everybody else was like trying to figure it out. And he's the guy's like, this is, is what it is right here. He know? really, he really did. He was such a, a leader and instrumental in, in kind of getting people to vote, like realize their potential and what could be done out there. But he, yeah, he was one of the first, if not the first. People just think of like, wow, he's like shattering. There's certainly our concepts. other, other uh, John Stamid, Stamid, I can't remember his last mm-hmm. name, but, uh, there, I mean, Matthew Lee's and it, but uh, what I think what Mike Hall did well is he he probably got in there right at the right time with social media and whenever things were kind of becoming more eyeballs were getting on it mm-hmm. and you know the films and stuff like that. He was very visible at a time. Mm-hmm. When, uh, yeah, I guess a lot of people were maybe starting to pay more attention and stuff. He was he was very s- smart. And, and very well spoken and, and likable yeah. because he was a genuinely good person. And I've I've got to, through bikepacking, I've met four or five people that personally knew Mike Hall and had a relationship with him. And to hear their stories is always, I'm just like, yep, tell me more. <laughs> like yeah. I'm just looking at him with my ears open like, oh, it's just so beautiful to hear about him. Um, my favorite, person. one of my favorite quotes of his, and I, it's a it's a nicely well read or written paragraph. But to paraphrase it, he says that nothing is ever a failure if you learn from it. I mean, mm. and I, I think I quoted him earlier, but uh, that simple concept or that message that he delivered, I remember reading this back probably like 2018, 2017, somewhere around there. Um, and really resonated with me. This, like, I picture him as this, like, uber athlete, extremely competitive, would be absolutely destroyed if he didn't, like, have a good run at it and mm-hmm. everything. And, but he had such a laid, like, just a laid back. He's like, no, man, that, like, that's the sport. And I'm grateful for that. I'm going to learn from that and I'm going to grow and I'm going to get better. And I mean, people on the podcast will be familiar with me saying these words, but whenever I talk about this concept, it originally came and popped into my head from Mike Hall. I mean, mm-hmm. he's the one that kind of, I'm like, okay, here's this guy that's, I, I mean, to me, he's like a God among men. I like, he's still one of my idols. I mean, someone I really respect and look up to and admire. And, um, you know, to hear him, 
have that like perspective to be able to like pull out of this singular event uh-huh. and say, oh, well, this was a failure. No, this wasn't a failure. I learned something valuable from X, Y, or Z that happened, you know, and that's it. That was his takeaway from, from whatever it was. And it, it's such a great takeaway. And I've applied that more broadly to my own life. And I stopped looking at, you know, shortcomings or roadblocks or, you know, quote unquote failures mm-hmm. as failures. I, I, I don't look at them like that at all. Sincerely, I'm just like, okay, what did, what went wrong? How can I do better next time? Mm-hmm. It's that simple. And, and that's a whole mindset thing too, right? Is like, and, and I use this a lot during bikepacking is instead of saying, um, why is this happening to me? You say, what is this trying to teach me? Mm-hmm. Right, you have to change your perspective and how you're looking at things because if you always play the part of the victim, oh, this keeps on happening, well, you're not learning anything, right? And there's an opportunity for growth in all of those circumstances, right? And that's the whole part of like learning from you know where you want to be. If you if you quote unquote failed at something, what well, what did you learn? What opportunities did that bring you? Yeah. I feel like uh, bikepacking, ultra-endurance cycling, do you feel like maybe it like requires you to eventually come to this conclusion because if you don't, you're just going to quit? I mean, I feel like as a society, um, at least in America, this mm-hmm. is where I live, <laughs> it just seems like every, a lot of people are just on like a one-program thing and everybody feels like they have a lot of stuff figured out. You know, they're like maybe in their mid-30s or 40s and they've got it licked. They, you know, they've got the house and the car and the kids. And, um, you know, I feel like they, they maybe have it all licked. Um, but whenever you start to introduce failure into your life on a somewhat regular basis, you have to, you have to work through that, you know, and either you're going to let that failure, you know, take over and, and make it about, Oh, you know, why is this happening to me? I can't believe, you know, my bad luck and all this stuff or whatever, you know, your thought process may be rather than just, uh, you know, learning to work through failures. I, I, you know, I talk about it uh, somewhat in, you know, bikepacking, how like it just forces you to be more self-reliant where in many ways we don't get opportunities to really do that. I mean, if you go into work, there's usually a team there to help you. You drive your car there that's automated with AC. You got DoorDash that'll bring you anything that you want. You got a guy that'll come mow your lawn. I mean, you know, this whole idea of being like 100% self-reliant and being able to rely on yourself, like where in life are we getting those opportunities? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's something, as I mentioned, like the, the sport, being so positive and, and helping me grow, it's through those experiences and those failures. And you have to have that mindset. Otherwise, you're going to have a mental breakdown. And it's like you said, it's that guy or that person who thinks they have everything they want. And maybe they do. Maybe that's my my first question for everybody is, are are you happy? And if that person's happy with their their job, their family, whatever, that's cool. Like, you go be happy, but if something goes wrong, like do they have this mental meltdown or how do they work through that change in their life? And if if they do have that mental meltdown, then I think that's just looking, pulling back some of those layers and seeing what's really, truly, who are they as a person, right? And that's something that 
is very unique with bikepacking. You have that opportunity the entire race for things to go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and it's and I always tell people, like, oh, you don't want it to be too easy. Like, I got rained on in Trinity, and I, that was, like, my – that was my moment. <laughs> you know, like, every race, I kind of come away with a moment. That was my moment of the East Texas Showdown. Uh, we can get into that a little bit further, but, like, you don't want it to be too easy. Like, my, my best stories and – my biggest growths and learnings come from the, the time where shit hit the fan and it's like, Oh, you go back and you figure out how did I, how did I work through it? Yeah. What it like, and you, you feel proud of yourself and you share that knowledge with people, right? Like that's another thing that I love about the bikepacking community is that there's not a lot of, I mean, there's a, there's a few secrets out there, right? Everybody. And, everything's unique to every person, but most of us are interacting and we're messaging each other. And I have people reaching out to me all the time. Hey, what do you think about this product? What do you think about this product? And I want to see everybody else succeed because if everybody succeeds, then the sport succeeds. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, like I want other people to experience this, this beautiful thing called bikepacking, yeah. you know, cause it is, it is so unique. Yeah, it's a very open and embracing community mm -hmm. at large. Sure, there's probably some people out there that aren't going to be too helpful. Maybe, I don't know. But in my mm. experience, I mean, as a podcast host where I just like contact people like on the fly and be like, hey, you want to share? I mean, no one's ever like, oh, I can't give away that information that's proprietary. Someone can find it out at some point in time if they do enough research, right? So why would you try and withhold that information before I did the... Uh, yeah, at the end of the day, you get someone the information, but you still have to go do it. I mean, that's, a, yeah. that's the thing is like, there's no, there's no shortcuts. You can prepare and plan and have all the gear, but you still have to go physically do it. And yeah. I, I mean, I'm a big, you should pair, prepare and plan before your event. Like that's, mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. the time for that. Not when you're riding, you know, when you're riding, no. yeah. you got, you have everything figured out. Your mind is set. This is what I'm doing. This is my plan. These are my goals. Yep. Everything's ready. Shit can go wrong, but I mean, you're not figuring stuff out, mm -hmm. you know, on your ride. And so, and so to kind of like piggyback along that, I, I feel like these, so these big events I did back in the past, I have some PTSD from like things going wrong and not bringing sleeping bags and like some of the hard times that I had to work through. And so you see me and I'll, I'll do like a, a 200. I just did uh, the Spotted Horse Gravel Ultra last October after I finished the Arkansas High Country race. And I'm like, fuck. Like <laughs> I'm looking at everybody. They got their gravel bikes. They've got a top two bag. And that's it. And I'm like, I've got like my full frame bag with like a fucking pump. And I've got, I've got everything because I'm, I, I, for me, I want to finish the race. Number one, that's it. I want to finish the race. But sometimes I wish I could let go of like that knowledge of, of like I pack my fears sometimes, a lot of times. So even at the East Texas showdown, there was a couple, there's a couple people I think that were doing the slowdown that had some rigs that, were like mine overbuilt and and they had some camping gear but not a lot of people on um, that were trying to go fast had all the gear that I had so it's it's so interesting you know different experiences out there but yeah you have to any anytime somebody asks me for advice it's with a grain of salt hey this works for me but go try it for yourself and like you mentioned 
before the race is the opportunity to really get to know your gear inside and out, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. Do your homework at home. Absolutely. Yeah. Some people show up on brand new bikes and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Louie, shout out to uh, Louie in the, I think it was the 2019 Gravel Grand. He had a salsa cutthroat shipped to him from Canada and he had it put together the day before the race. And he ran into, I think, some mechanical issues, but he worked through it overall. I remember Louis, he's Oh, yeah, you said he's from Canada. From so Canada, I away yeah. From no, you're fine. <laughs> yeah, I remember uh, Louis. Yeah. Yeah. I remember he, uh, I don't... I don't I don't think I ever met him, but he uh, sent me a message whenever mm -hmm. I completed my uh, my 20... I guess I did in 2018 Grand Gravel. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was really nice. You always appreciate those messages from like, yeah. especially, I mean, from anyone, but it, like when strangers that you don't know are like watching and rooting for you and, you know, sending you well wishes, you're like, oh, wow, that's really neat that like, you know, people are just like out there and watching and they care and they're happy for you. And yeah. that's another neat thing about this sport. And it's it's why I do try to tell the stories of, of this is because, uh, I don't know, I mean, just connecting these people and uh, giving... Uh, giving everybody an opportunity to kind of uh, in some way participate and share and learn and hopefully grow in their own way. Because like I said, I mean, we were even talking about Mike Hall and how inspirational he is to probably both of us. And like, we wouldn't have that inspiration if it wasn't for people that were going out and capturing those stories mm -hmm. and relaying them and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And so it is kind of a, a balancing act where you want to be like very mindful of and considerate of what each racer is going through and, and all that kind of stuff but i do think i i don't think i know that there is value in in those stories you know mm -hmm. getting those out there to people it's just the 100%. way that you do it yeah um you know you go back i just watched it inspired to ride again with my friend out in colorado and what an amazing film like to see those moments captured and the brilliance of all the writers out there it's really really quite magical i there's one part in there, there there's one guy i think he finished around eighth place that year and they're like right the van's up next to him and he's talking about how he has a daily mantra for everything and they're like what's your daily mantra today and he said um oh it was i'll have to think about it I'll, I'll come back to it but anyways it was really beautiful it was I something remember he's the guy that had his jersey unzipped yeah, and the long yeah. hair and he was like i'm getting caught up with these people and i'm he's like i had to put my phone away like you know he's like you guys know me that's not me like i'm i'm not trying to get caught up in this race <laughs> um i don't remember i do i remember he uh i remember the whole thing but i'm trying to remember the actual quote that he gave i think it was something like uh suffering is just a matter of degree just just like love and kindness Ooh, that is it was, it was very very similar to that so but there, there's yeah great moments in that and, and when mike calls he's like pushing through and he's like you know you can't take yourself too seriously at the end of the day we're just riding bikes yeah you know yeah those are very those are very <laughs> good messages like don't you, you should, I mean, ho a lot of people don't have ego in this sport because it is such a humbling thing mm -hmm. to do. Uh, but yeah, let's not take ourselves too seriously. Mm -hmm. I definitely, if you're not out there and you're not having fun, I really, Dylan Morton, do you know him? Yeah, that's the whole reason I have a mustache. Okay, yeah, he's is, got an epic. <laughs> yeah, I saw pictures of him at the Mid-South 
like two weeks ago and I was like, <laughs> crap, I got two weeks to try and grow a mustache because <laughs> I had reached out to him before the race and I just said, hey, like, um, I got a, I got an extra spot at a place if you need a spot to stay. Oh, yeah. And I was like, I really want a mustache when I meet him and <laughs> so I could get a mustache selfie, but I, I forgot to take the picture. Anyways, great guy. Yeah. Yeah. So the, his ride this year, you, you, you were out riding your bike, so you probably don't even know a lot of like storylines that went down. I, I will say before you tell me your story, yeah. I was, I was just headed out on my second loop and he was finishing his first so we met on the the forest road up there and gave each other a big hug and I was asking him a little bit about his his race. Oh, but good, good. Yeah, good. tell me about from a fresh well, perspective. Yeah, I mean, it just simply he uh, he you know most people know Dylan is a very strong rider mm-hmm. and uh, he was he went off the front as many of y'all did. The front of the race was extremely fast this cool. year. Uh, woo! Yeah, <laughs> a lot of people are saying woo. Uh, and but what happened? I mean, we had perfect condition. The morning was beautiful. We had fast people there. The times were there to be gotten. And and dude, it. The, I don't know. I think there was about twenty-ish people that just went off the front and went hard. And uh, but then it heated up. Mm-hmm. And people started to suffer a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I think Dylan just—he was like, "Man, I just—I wasn't feeling too great, and I—I I just wasn't riding the way I wanted to." And he's like, "You know, I—that's not why I ride." You know, he's like, "I—I I I like to enjoy being out there. I like to enjoy riding my bike." He's like, "If I'm not feeling it, I've got no problem." Mm-hmm. You know, camping or get. In this case, he got a hotel. He's gonna sleep six hours. He's like, "Ah, oh, maybe eight. Ah, oh, maybe ten. You know, after 10 hours of sleep, he uh, woke up and then he just laid the hammer down and, <laughs> you know, didn't, didn't like podium or anything like that. But it was, uh, I love that. I mean, yeah, there's so many different ways to do it, but and, and that takes that's a an lot impressive, of, yeah, mental thing to do, right? To like, to pull yourself out and take a step back takes a lot of self-awareness. Uh, I had to do that or recently kind of experienced that in a race called the Triple D is a fat bike race in Dubuque, a 70 miler. And um, I was I was doing really well. I think I was in third and there was maybe 25 miles left. And same thing, I wasn't having fun. And I just pulled off and like, I had some pizza wrapped up in some tin foil and just started eating pizza and watched, you know, four or five people pass me. Mm-hmm. And then the next stop was actually Eric from Embark Maple. So I got to hang out with him for a little bit. That's like, awesome. right, like I did, I, I, created new experiences because I took the time to realize what kind of experience I wanted to have out there. Had I just kept trying to like chase that podium, I, I would have maybe finished strong, but I would have been exhausted and I would have not have had a, an enjoyable ride, which yeah. what's the point? I mean, there is a, to a certain point, if you're like out there trying to win races, that's really cool too. I respect that. I tried to do that for a very long time, and I, I now see there's two sides to the coin, you know? That's the message that we I really like to get out there is because often we focus so much on the pointy end mm-hmm. of the race and the fastest people. <clears throat> but um, 
I, I like you, I love those storylines. Some people get a lot of enjoyment and pers personal satisfaction out of absolutely gutting themselves. Mm -hmm. and I mean, I don't think you'll ever see Leo without a smile on her face, mm -hmm. you know, no matter how sleep deprived or whatever she is. And I also think that those race probably like do other kinds of activities, you know, that are enjoyable. You know, it's like this, this is my job. I mean, some of these people, it's like their job to, yeah. to go and, and do that. Uh, but, you know, what I, what I love about the sport or one thing that I mean, we could talk for hours about that, but it's like all the stories of people like there, it doesn't go their way, whether it's Dylan Morton or Dennis with his seat post that broke mm -hmm. and had to like, he borrowed my seat post. <laughs> and, but you know, like, you know, these guys are like, they're, they're, they get, they go in, they sign up, they're having a good ride and things start going not the right way. But to be able to like in Dennis's case, <clears throat> He got upset a little, you know, he was frustrated, I would say, mm -hmm. because he was in second place. He he was very close to the lead and had a broken part. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, he, it took him, I don't know how long, cause I wasn't there with him, but, um, you know, uh, from my, from what I understand, he like was able to mentally flip the script and he posted a, like a 10 minute uh, video on Facebook. And so I watched, watched the whole thing. So you're able to kind of see how much like you, he went from like very narrow focus layers or laser focused. And I think he was probably still having a good time, but what I really appreciate is how he was able to like, okay, now this is something else. And he reframed his mind and he still had a good time. It was a little bit different. He started to stop and talk to the camera crew, mm -hmm. pet a dog, you know, mm -hmm. talk to the lady at the gas station, whatever it is. But, uh, you know, however you do it, I mean, we had a guy that broke, you probably don't know this, we had a guy that broke his uh, pedal. Well, it actually came unstripped. Uh, it stripped out the threads and the crank. I mean, it was unrepairable. Too many watts. Uh, too many watts, just pushing those <laughs> watts. Too much sand and too many watts. <laughs> and some sand. <laughs> uh, yeah, and he, so he got about 70 miles in and couldn't, couldn't fix it. So he one-legged it all the way back. Uh, oh. Yeah. So he reversed it. He wait, rode 70 miles back. Wow, and, that's... That is very cool. But that's what I love to see is like when shit goes wrong, how people are able to adapt and mm -hmm. overcome mm -hmm. the challenge at hand. We can't always. Sometimes you get a call. I've I've been mm -hmm. hitchhiked off of a course before, and mm -hmm. you know all that kind of stuff. But there's there, there's no shame in that no. either. Um, it, it all depends on the situation. It yeah it does. But yeah, again, learn learn from those opportunities. I think and don't yeah. like let them hang over you as failures, but opportunities to do better next time. Mm -hmm. So let's uh, talk a little bit about East Texas Showdown. Might as well. Yeah. Might, might as well, since it's my race and I want to promote it. <laughs> so <laughs> For, well, let, me, let me say real quick. Let, let me say real quick. No, <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't really understand the concept of the slowdown. I thought it was just like a short circuit. Uh-huh. Right, like the you know the Arkansas High Country race, and then you have the Arkansas Short Circuit race. Um, and when I was out there riding, I'm like, that is just like like so brilliant. Like, as you're saying, hey, here's a shorter race. You still got like three days or whatever to complete it. Two and a half days. Just go out there and fucking have fun. Camp. Like I saw so many people, probably like 15 riders, when I was headed back out on my yo-yo that were on the the slowdown. And just like stopping and chatting with them, and how cool of an experience is that? Is like you basically gave everybody the option to choose 
hey, you can go out there and go fast, or you can just go real slow. Either way, you're out there bikepacking. That's exactly like, right. Choose your own adventure. And I, I haven't seen that in a lot of races, and I thought that was really, really cool. You're a trendsetter. That's what I'm trying <laughs> to do, man. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Like, I'm just a regular guy. I've got two jobs, two kids, single, you know, dad. Yeah. And uh, I don't have the time to to train for, like, epic, you know, going super fast or epic trips, really. Um, but much like the podcast, I love to have fast people as like examples of what the human body is possible. And it's fun to talk to those people mm -hmm. and use them as inspiration. And, you know, when you're out there, you'd be like, oh man, I remember this. I mean, people are telling me like, oh, I was using this podcast or that podcast as inspiration or whatever. And like, but we still need to make room for everybody else who you know, doesn't have a sponsor and doesn't have a full-time coach and all that kind of stuff. And mm -hmm. that was the whole idea is like, let's have, you know, one race for anybody who wants to just go fast. And one is fast. It's fun. It's your first time. It's kind of whatever you want it to be. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, we celebrate different things. So this year we had the faux slow award, which you weren't there for. So faux slow is when you go too fast. That's our first I, place. I know who won that. My, yeah. The guy. Yeah, because he, he, like, passed me, and I was like, holy shit, he's hauling. <laughs> and um, then I saw your post, and he was the one who, like, did the did the slowdown first. Yeah, first yeah. place, slowdown finisher, Mike, it starts with a B, I can't quite pronounce it off the top of my head, but uh, Mike B uh, came in, all smiles. He, he put the, in a great... He had the best shoes out of anybody out he? there. I didn't notice. They were these, uh, I think Lake was the brand I saw on it, but they were um, uh, sparkly, reflective, like holographic shoes. Oh, damn. Yeah, I'm like, those are dope. No wonder he won. Yeah, I was checking out a lot of fashion this year. Um, there, was <laughs> I noticed you there was some party pants out there, and then the one woman, I think she finished maybe second in the slowdown Alicia? or the showdown. She had she had some really cool shirts on. One oh. of them was Black History Matters. Yeah, that's uh, Hannah Simon. Yeah, she was she. I think from Austin. Yeah, she's from yeah, Austin. There's some rad people out there from Austin. So Austin shows up big, man. They were like thirty percent of our yeah, folks. Fashionable there. Texas people. Yeah. It was cool. Kyle Gilbert, Gilbert is another fashionable one from Austin. You got to watch out mm -hmm. for those Austin people. They're there pretty, was uh, there was a kid that I met. I say kid because he was nineteen. Um, I met him the the day before the race. He was on an old Trek 520, and I I forget his name. Amir, Amir, yeah, tall. Skinny. Yeah, it's Amir. He's only yeah. 19 year old. Yeah, yeah, did he finish? I love. So I'll tell you his story real quick. Yeah. Uh, first of all, Amir, uh, love you, buddy. Uh, he 19 year old kid, tall. All smiles, just, I mean, I don't know, just a great, great energy. Um, he was the one with the party pants, and I was like, yeah. <laughs> I I don't know what town it was in, but I got a report that he was in Walmart. It might have been up in Jacksonville at about mm -hmm. mile 200. Mm -hmm. That uh, That's when the, things start to get weird. Yeah, that's when things, Because yeah. it's nighttime, and you're, you're like, okay, this is real. Yeah, 200 is whenever, yeah. Kind of, like I, I've been saying, it's like most people go to Whataburger. Their only goal is to like get there, and then they're going to reevaluate re their <laughs> life. It's like, okay, what have I done, and what am I going to do now? Yeah, kind of, you know? yeah. And uh, he was at Walmart, and the cashier asked him, "She's like, uh, how you doing?" And he just started bawling. Oh, yeah. And I was talking to him about it afterwards, and I'm like, I think it's one of those things where you're just so task at hand. Mm -hmm. You know, there, he was riding solo at this point, and mm -hmm. so. 
you know, he wasn't like tuning into himself necessarily. And whenever someone asked him that question and he like internalized that mm. for a second, he was like, Oh, I'm not good. <laughs> uh, but he didn't didn't stop. You know, he uh, kept kept going. Uh, got all the way to the Bullet Grill at mile uh, three forty. Uh huh. And uh, so the Bullet Grill is on on route. It's neutral, um, so anyone can use it. So uh, we had several people this year who were on the showdown. Mm -hmm. uh, they got to the Bullet at mile three forty, and they pitched up camp. And then went back out the next morning to to finish off the death loop, mm -hmm. and uh, he was experiencing some really bad knee pains the night before, which is why he decided to stop. Woke up, had breakfast, and uh, got on his bike. Got nine miles down the road, and uh, he actually called the Bullet Grill um, in tears and was like, "I just need someone to come get me." No, <laughs> yeah. So he he did three hundred and forty nine miles out of it. Damn, yeah. good for him. I. Uh, really, hey, shout out to you, Amir. Good job, buddy. Yeah. I can't imagine doing that at 19 years old. And it's super impressive. I think he had an old Trek 520, so. Yeah. Well, great, I mean, great it, job. Like, he he's going to go home with a bag full of learnables. I think so. And oh, he, yeah. you know, I think, I think he's feeling good. I mean, it, it's, it's not what he hoped for. Um, but, you know, I gave him some, some room. We took a shower and we chatted, uh, afterwards just there at the bullet and um you know i was telling him like you know i don't remember the gentleman's name but the guy who was winning the arkansas high country this year and he got 40 miles to the finish oh do you know he like got 40 miles to the finish oh and, you're talking uh, about um uh ralston uh the guy who broke down yeah the guy that broke down yeah, spencer spencer yeah, yeah that's right spencer yeah. Apparently his bike was like yard sailed in the middle of the road and he was like in, about in the yeah. woods. And yeah. I'm like, you know, it happens. Like you're not, this isn't the first time that someone's got close to the end and, mm -hmm. and just like, but now you put it all in. Like, that's how, you know, you're like, I went all in all to the limit. It didn't work out this time, but yeah, he's 19 years it's old. Very, so. very few people will ever push themselves that hard. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that is a missed opportunity. Right? Like, we he's going to come back and he's going to be like, I'm completely fine. Yeah. We don't Fuck, yeah, give let's, ourselves let's an opportunity. Let's do it again. Like, he, nothing bad happened to him. He's okay. He's going to be okay. Right? Like, he's going to, he has the opportunity to go do it again. Both of them. And I think, I think Spencer is probably going back out oh, yeah. <laughs> for the Arkansas High Country race. I saw him. He's one of the first two people I met before the race. And before we were going to do like a little shakedown ride with the whole crew and I looked at him and he had like the same look that my brother used to have. And I was like, this dude's fucking intense. And I'm like, he is either going out there to win it or he's going to blow himself up. And he did a little bit of both. He does both. Like he, uh, I don't know if he'd done a bikepacking event before. He is, he was a uh, triathlete, super strong sponsored triathlete. And then he got into bikepacking, which is really cool we're seeing these people from other sports get into bikepacking and, and go out there and really bring their talents. And, um, That's yeah, like, good on him for like, for like dropping out of the race respectably and he'll be back for another round. Oh yeah. And I think next year, if there's the people that are coming out that I've heard are coming out, I think that's going to be quite interesting. What do you mean? Like from people this year, they're going to come back or, you know, some well, other you know, so Andrew Onerma and I are uh, friends now. He's a, he's a really 
really cool guy. I will say real quick, uh, I was I really enjoyed listening to his podcast because it reminded me of myself five years ago, mm-hmm. like putting it all out there, yeah, wanting to get sponsored, yeah. this, that, and the other, and I'm like. I fucking feel you, bud. Yeah. I relate to that. Anyways, he's he's y'all a, are y'all are very similar. Y'all are very like passionate. Um, yeah, I, I emotional, but like in a good way. Like in touch, yeah. like you're okay, like being emotional or like you know yeah. being in touch with yourself or however you want to say it. But both of you guys are like all in, all heart. You know, it just all love. You know, I think he he might even be more so. <laughs> yeah, he, <laughs> he goes he goes for. It. I love it. Anyway, he's a really cool cat, and uh, it's now he's kind of I think helping run the Instagram account for the Arkansas High Country Race because he'll be the race director or co race director, yeah, uh, something like that. Anyways, they were asking people. Who do you want to come back? Who do you want to come out and do it? And someone mentioned like Sofian. Someone wants Ted King to come back out there. So there was a lot of people that got props through that social media platform and not like called out, but people were just saying, hey, we'd love to see you ride this route. So it'll be, I'm interested to see who signs up. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, we'll see. It's gonna be. I don't know. It, I I can't quite wrap my head around it. I don't. I don't know what's happening. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? It's like you just draw lines on the map. You put it out there, and the interest in this year's event was absolutely bananas. You mm-hmm. know, what I mean, on every level. From I mean, even with the community, uh, everybody's just been really stoked, welcoming, excited about it. And what I didn't expect is for having people come all over United States. I mean, all the way from Illinois, Montana, Colorado, mm-hmm. Florida. I mean, we have people from everywhere. Our weather Utah. sucks in Illinois right now. I was like, hell yeah, yeah get me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> it lined up perfect with my schedule. Are there? Is there anybody else you want another story before we hear your story? What any do, other? What do you mean? Uh, any other from the from the? Because you didn't get to like hear or see what happened. Oh, uh, you know. Usually, the whole idea with the showdown or the slowdown yeah. is that we have a party to celebrate. I know. We we celebrate everybody. Oh, I wanted to mention we uh, for the slowdown we had the faux slow, which is the fastest, and the award. So Mike doesn't know this because he wasn't there to accept his award, and you weren't there. But it's a fucking rock, and it has <laughs> it has like congratulations. <laughs> You won the the faux slow award. Uh, your punishment is you got to carry this rock in your frame bag next yes. year, and maybe that'll teach you to go slow next time. <laughs> so I mean, it's 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 uh, like we're amazing. trying to find fun ways, and he doesn't really have to carry the rock, but like we're trying to find fun ways to like yes, acknowledge like yes, you went fast, that's awesome. Yeah. But then we have the pro slow award, which is for the slowest, and that mm-hmm. distinction this year went to Brendan. It's hair or hairs uh, up in Northwest Arkansas. It was it was perfect, man. He like we finished the you know the after party. It was probably eleven o'clock at night. Well, the the party. I guess we were at the after party mm-hmm. drinking beers on parking lot. Uh, and it was like eleven o'clock at night. And um, and yeah, he just came in. We there was like I don't know probably twenty of us. Sweet. And he had a Modelo in his hand, and he was just all smiles and. 
just just epic. I mean, like I, I when I gave him a turtle shell that <laughs> like with a little plaque on it and stuff. Yes, for being the pro slow. Yes. We had an award for uh, best photography on course. Yeah, I'm interested to see all that. I didn't take a, a ton of pictures until like the last part. Yeah, what was the best photograph? Oh, we haven't announced it yet. Okay, cool. Yeah, so we're uh, we're gonna. I'll probably work on that later today. To be honest with you, I mean there was there's some beautiful spots out there and then there's some like really cool like places like landmarks and stuff where i think you could set up just some cool spots i think you're gonna have your work cut out for you oh picking, with photography picking, picking the fo photograph yeah 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 we'll we'll see i will uh we're gonna take votes so the media crew is gonna just like vote on their favorites mm -hmm. top three and then mm -hmm. hopefully we all agree on one of them and yeah kind of go from there but nice I think next year we could even do like an award for the person who quits in most epic fashion. Uh, <laughs> the meltdown award. The, it could be the meltdown or yeah, just, I mean, even like if you like quit, but you figure out some like super creative way to get back to the bullet or mm -hmm. I don't know, just fun. I mean, just trying to find ways to like uh, celebrate and uh and welcome anybody mm -hmm. uh i mean we saw dad bods out there yeah. we saw fit athletes you know it's just like and that's the thing is like i don't uh it this is a sport and a place for everybody every mm -hmm. single person and i think we have a good contingent of people in the industry quote unquote who are wanting to keep it different different than other cycling events and stuff that we see pop up and what I said recently was like, I feel like what I would like to see is that every event has its own flavor. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. it's not like it's all, yes, I mean, the solo self-supported and the ethos and the spirit of that race will never go away. But, yeah. you know, the flavor and the style of the event can can change a little bit, you know, and I hope people can come into it. Uh, as race directors with a little creativity. I think we do mm -hmm. see that. I think that's what we are seeing. And I hope, mm -hmm. you know, that that continues. Um, that's what I see, at least. I really like that. And that's uh, maybe something we haven't... Because the, the, usually the biggest change we see in between these events is strictly the course. But I think you celebrated bikepacking in a little bit of a different way, which is really cool. And hopefully that will kind of branch out to some other races. Yeah, I hope so. You know, the funny thing about being a race director is that I've only done one race in my entire life. That mm -hmm. was a 2018 Grand Gravel. And I have never, I don't go to, I'm not a racer, you know, mm -hmm. like I don't go to other events. So I don't have much of a perspective on what other races do. I mean, I'm aware of them peripherally through mm -hmm. social media and interviewing people and that kind of stuff. But I really don't have the perspective of like, okay, what is everybody else doing? And in some ways, I think that that's been good because it's allowed me the freedom to just kind of, okay, what do I want this to look like? And what do I want to create? Mm -hmm. But in the inverse, I, I there's a lot I don't know. And I'm learning a lot as I go. Yeah. And so like, you know, like this year, one takeaway for me, like one learning thing that I took away from it was, was understanding the variety and the landscape of athletes and people that will be there showing up to participate. You know, we have people that are coming in that have no background history like we do about Mike Hall and Lael and mm -hmm. Hal Russell mm -hmm. and these people who 
we know, we've studied, we've ridden with, and and we know what these races are. And so I came in with that perspective, but I need to do a better job of of helping people understand you know, the spirit of the race and kind of what's expected and what these races are all about, you know, but you know, I'm not, it's not a bad thing. It's just, it's a good, it's Ma- a good maybe thing. I'll, that we have maybe I'll be there to help next year. Oh yeah. Yeah. So you can go out and ride your route. We'll see. See you, see you four days later. See ya. I, all I, you have to do is give me the keys to the, uh, bikes or death van. Okay. <laughs> You're like sold. I'm, Keep it under a hundred. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really there there's something attractive about uh, doing it with everybody, but I do feel a great sense of obligation to mm-hmm. run to run the event. Mm-hmm. You know, I was actually thinking about riding it this year, and we like had a team meeting with you know I think us three, <laughs> and uh, like no, I mean just for any number of reasons. I mean like it is my race. At the end of the day, like I need to be the one. Yeah. You know, I, but I do need help. Like that's that's another thing I learned is it was just Emily and I this year, and a hundred people is a lot, mm-hmm. lot, lot mm-hmm. more than forty two. Mm-hmm. You know, it didn't it didn't go up by a mag of a hundred percent. It was like it was like two hundred percent or like yeah. whatever. So like, yeah, next year we're gonna we're gonna have more people to help run it, and it's so the venue set up for it. Anybody that wasn't there this year, the Bullet Grill House cleared out all this land out back. It's great for camping. They had a shower set up. The hours are really good on the restaurant. You couldn't ask for a better wait staff. Like yeah. they took really good care of everybody. It's perfect, perfect spot for a race event. Yeah, the Bullet uh, is when I designed the route. So first of all, I mean, the first route that I did was the Sam Houston restaurant tour. Mm-hmm. That's just a beginner route of 66 miles. But they built the bullet like four years ago. When he built it, like months later, I pop- published a route mm-hmm. uh, based on his restaurant and Taqueria Carmelita. Mm. And so glad I ate there. You ate there? Yeah, yeah. The first, oh, first night I was in town. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd been there before. That's right. I love it. It's so so good. Yeah, you you ate there on the Grand Gravel. That's right. Yeah. Uh, when, actually, it was me and Billy. Went. It was probably the day that we saw you and Hal Russell out on course. Oh, really? Yep. Y'all didn't wait for us at Taqueria. Mm-mm. I, I we may I have already talked to you. I don't know. You were remember you were riding back and forth trying to get your <laughs> GPS to work. <laughs> I do remember yeah, that. Yeah. I'm that's so funny. Yeah. So that was my first race and a good learning opportunity was uh, I was kind of mostly just relying on my uh, Dynamo Hub mm-hmm. to, you know, power my light and charge my cache battery. And I learned that I wasn't going fast enough to <laughs> do that. And so I, all, you know, all my electronics were dead. I had no idea which direction I was supposed to go. So the only thing I could think to do was part of the time I was sitting there just like spinning my wheel, getting my dynamo to go. And then I also like was just riding back and forth up and down this forest road. Hot laps. Hot laps <laughs> until I could get like battery left to like figure out where I was going. Yeah. Uh, that's good. But that, that's the fun. It's like, yeah, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just trying yeah. to get some charge. You Got know? it going on. <laughs> yeah. Figuring it out. Good times. Uh, but then like, so whenever I did the East Texas showdown, I mean, I knew I wanted to have, uh, you know, two different routes. I knew I wanted it to be a little bit shorter, a little bit more and more accessible to a, a wider range of people. Mm-hmm. And still fun enough for like fast people where, 
I mean, if they just want to go light and really put in a, a fast time, it's like pretty attractive to them. And we saw that again this year. But the entire route was based on starting and finishing at the Bullet Grill because it is such a great facility. I mean, they got a stage. They got TVs where they watch the dots. Mm -hmm. They got the mic and the PA system all set up. So there's a lot of like... They had four servers out there when I finished the race yesterday. Yeah. So they congratulate me and give me water. I was like, you guys are so nice. I told him. I was like, he's coming in hot. Yeah. (laughs) We just got a text and I was like, damn. Yeah. Yeah, they are they are great. They 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 come out and greet every racer and bring them water and stuff. And so I built the route around the bullet, and uh, Chris didn't know anything about it, the owner. Mm-hmm. And I basically just like I had my little presentation. I scheduled a meeting with them, and I was like, "Okay, here's what I'm thinking," <laughs> you know. And you're going in and talking to somebody who has no idea or perspective, like what bike packing is and what racing is, and and all this stuff and um i'm just he just said yes and they have been uh they couldn't be more excited more bought in and more accommodating they have absolutely Mm -hmm. letting us take over their establishment whatever we need uh yeah i was like man could we camp on site he's like yeah i got five acres back there let me just clear it out we could use a shower great got one of those you know (laughs) i mean uh next year i know he's got plans to do some other stuff and just make it better and better and better because that and that is like part of the secret sauce of the event and you missed it this year because you were on your own mission quest but you know getting everybody back together not just finishing to an empty parking lot or an empty field or Mm -hmm. whatever it's like okay well now i go home and and there's something very special about that you know it is special to and that's what i mean about different flavors it's like i love that event i love the event where there's nothing there's no prize no one's going to congratulate mm-hmm. you patrick might call you and do an interview or bikepacking.com mm-hmm. or something but you know you're you're doing this for you you know mm-hmm. uh and i love that but you know there's a lot of people who i think would like to share a beer and a burger and hang out and tell their story and you know catch up with all the people that they saw on course and what happened to you back there yeah because you, you really do build some relationships out there yeah you know Oh, for sure. You're, you're, share, gonna, you're probably going to share some miles with some people. And if not, like you, you saw them at some point in time. And now now that you've finished the course together, you have this sense of camaraderie. And you're like, yeah, now, now we're best friends, basically. Because yeah. <laughs> we did the same route. Yeah. No, it's, <laughs> and yeah, it is, sure it's a great opportunity. Even though I wasn't there, like I imagine <laughs> what, it was, it. what it was like. You can watch the film. Yeah, there we go. You'll get to watch it in the film, which I'm really excited about. Yeah, I'm excited to, to have the guys. film not for us. Like, we all know what we're doing, and I'm excited to, you know, spread this event to a greater audience in the bikepacking community. But I, what I'm mostly excited about for next year is, uh, well, I'll get into their hands this year, but, like, make sure that all those people on the route uh, see that video. You know, like get that in the local community so they see and understand what we're doing and that'll help like put it in perspective for them, you know. And I think if we can get the the more we can get the community, the people on route uh, bought into it, the better. Mm-hmm. And I mean, let's talk about Sue real quick. Hey, so, yeah, Sue. Shout out to Sue from Family Dollar and Kennard. Kennard. And mile 90. Mile if 90. If you're going clockwise mm-hmm. but we i was i was at family dollar when the the first riders came through and you know they were like what's what's going on you know and so 
I, I just went in there, started telling them. They're like, oh my gosh, are you serious? I can't believe that. And right after they got done doing that and being amazed, they, they my cat's like you. <laughs> She's just going to make herself at home. <laughs> Hope you're not allergic. <laughs> I, I am, but I'll live. Yeah, it's not deathly or anything. She, uh, They immediately started like stocking water. They put out a trash can for us. They just started stocking the shelves with anything they could think of and need. And there was another gas station. They ran out of pizzas and they're like, next year, you know, let us know. Mm -hmm. We're going to stock up for you guys. Mm -hmm. And they, uh, Sue actually posted on uh, Facebook recently just, uh, the most positive message about how cool it was for them to be a part of it and to experience it from their perspective, you mm -hmm. know? And so it's, it's cool, man. Like she said, we made a splash in small town, Texas. You got to think they probably had f at least 50 people. Yeah. At least, yeah. Smelly, hot cyclists in there. And, uh, I, when I asked, when I went back, I said, Hey, was everybody nice? And she goes, you guys were just so kind. Yeah. Like, thank you so much. And I'm like, cool. They asked as long me that, as everybody was nice and respectful, you know. I, that's exactly right. That's super important when you go into those towns and uh, to represent yourself in the cycling community mm -hmm. well and be nice to those people because, you know, they live there and we're just we're visitors. Yeah. And, and we really want a good camaraderie with the with the locals. You know, mm -hmm. we want them to when they see us out there, we want them to be like, oh, it's one of those guys. That's cool. You yeah, know, I can't yeah. believe they're back. You know, that kind of you thing. You got to have a good experience. Instead of like, oh, it's one of those fucking assholes. They come in smelly, dirty. They look like shit and they, they're mean. Or, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, yeah. no, you can come in smelly, dirty, run down. Mm -hmm. But if you got a smile on your face and you're nice to mm -hmm. them, they don't care. You know? Yeah. So, shoot, on my, my second lap back, I have these blisters on my hands and, uh, I bought some of that self-adhering wrap, athletic wrap, and she came out and she had. She's like, "Here, I bought these for you," and I was like, "Oh, it was like these oversized gauze pads bandages <laughs> that she took money out of her own pocket and bought for me." I thought that was just it was salt it was, of the earth, man. Yeah, very, very kind. I the waitresses at the Bullet, um, they said that this is their favorite event of the year, hmm. and I I I asked them why, and they're like, you get to meet the most interesting people, and they're all so nice. Mm -hmm. Like they're like we have you know customers come in all the time. Like God, you know you deal with your asshole customers. Like we don't ever have any. You know, there's a hundred people there. There's no problems. There's mm -hmm. just people that are in good mood, and they're being friendly. And they got interesting stories, and they're fun. And that I was, I was asked like, "What, what's going on here? You know, what is it with that?" I'm like, you know, the only thing I can figure is that you know, human beings are used to challenging themselves and and using their bodies, and and we were designed to do that. You know, um, we've evolved to do that, and we've mm -hmm. taken that away from ourselves in in many respects, and. There just has to be a lot of value in in learning to rely on yourself and to trust yourself, and and then you know think about like all the, uh, you know the things that you're working through mentally as you ride, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, you're able to like come to terms with stuff. You don't. It doesn't just like sit in the back of your memory. Like you have to, you know, you're gonna be you alone. Work, you work through it. You're gonna work. You through have it. a lot of. You know, for, for myself, I always tell people, like, uh, you know, so my, my father just recently passed away uh, at the end of November, and I had some people talking to me about, you know, the grieving process, and they were asking how, 
was I able to be doing so well with everything? And I really attribute that to spending thousands of dollars on bike packing <laughs> and and it's not the money part of it but like instead of spending money on ther a therapist which i think therapy is really great um therapists are worth what they're paid but instead of putting that money there i spent it getting into bike packing and crossing the country three times and doing these events and being out there alone and and having these thoughts and these emotions and these these conversations with myself you know you have when you're by yourself for 24 hours a day with no distractions for 33 days in a row it's very hmm, it's very it's, a, it's an opportunity it's very enlightening it's an opportunity for you to get to process things on a, on a completely different level that I don't think we allow ourselves to do in the normal day-to-day. -day. Yeah, so, I think you literally get to know yourself. Yeah. Because if, you, if we look at our lives, at least most people's lives as an examination, we're, I mean, whether it's a TV, social media, somebody, your friends calling you, your boss is calling you, your clients calling you. Mm -hmm. It's just you have in, inputs coming in all the time. You have distractions. You're reacting to to life oftentimes. Mm -hmm. And when you're out there, you you strip all that away. And I, I told people at the pre-race meeting, this this is a selfish endeavor. Mm -hmm. You know, there are times in life to be non-selfish, to, you know, care about your family and not to say you stop caring, but you know, I'm mm -hmm. saying to take care of your family or, you know, worry about the war in Ukraine. I mean, these are, you know, there's a lot of really important things that 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 do matter. But also you as a human being matter. And it's important we talk about, you know, self-help and 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 taking care of ourselves, me time or whatever. Well, this is that time. This mm -hmm. is exact. Whenever we talk about that, I mean, it's different for different people, but for us kind of people, this is our time. This is your yeah. time to, you know, quote unquote, be selfish or just be with yourself and check in with yourself, talk to yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's very, it's very important, and I don't think a lot of people afford themselves that luxury of getting some alone time and checking in with themselves, and yeah. it's monumental and moving forward when you go back out into the world and you need to be there from for somebody or a situation arises and you instead of being reactive to it you need to take a moment and think and so the better you can become as a person through that experience of bikepacking is going to reflect on the rest of the world in a positive way I think that's what I was trying to articulate earlier when I was talking about people who were like kind of just set in their ways, whether it's their job and their family, they're just mm -hmm. kind of locked in. Mm -hmm. I think what I'm trying to say is like how many people are stepping out of their lives and, and taking time to reflect, you mm -hmm. know, and like evaluate and, you know, and decide like what I like to do is like, am I happy? Am I doing a good job? What do I want to accomplish? Could I mm -hmm. do better? You know, like I start asking myself questions. Well, there's, a, there's a lot of uh, complacency. Right, I think in America, yeah. where it's, they're just not willing to like better themselves or challenge themselves. That's, that's the thing that I think I was trying to touch on. That's a little that can be. It's not frustrating because I'm living a very happy and fulfilled life, but I'm seeing opportunities mm -hmm. and like it's right here. You mm -hmm. know, it's like you can step out. You can have that. And all, I, I I love my family. I love you know my job. And you know, those things aren't aren't bad in themselves. I think what's bad or could be bad or what could be better maybe is if we take those time to reflect and, and really focus on ourselves. And 
I think we talk about it a lot, but you know, I, I don't know how many people are like really learning about themselves, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, 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 and again, I don't think we have a lot of opportunities to do that. I don't think that's the way, uh, as a society that we've really like evolved, so to speak. And I think it's probably becoming less and less with the more, more we are connected with technology and everything else to really do that. You have to, you'd probably have to put your phone away and just lock it up somewhere to really disconnect. And I don't think most people do that or see the validity behind that, but it's very yeah. powerful. Well, I mean, in fairness, I didn't go into bikepacking necessarily seeking that perspective but i've gained that perspective as a result i've seen and interviewed you know ton of people and it's like okay there's something going on here Mm -hmm. you know east texas showdown yeah so first question is the yo-yo called the east texas throwdown Uh, Uh, work in progress i like (laughs) i thought about that when i was out there i i well the uh yeah, what did I say at the race meeting? Thank you for showing up and throwing down at the East Texas Ooh, Showdown. There we go. Yeah, so it kind of it's it's in there. It's part of and it. Then, and then we got the hoedown. We're gonna start calling the after party the hoedown. Oh, yeah. So after the showdown, come to the hoedown. Yeah. I like it. Uh, so uh, first question: mm-hmm. What? Why did you? So you're from Illinois, which is a long way away. I don't know yeah. exactly, but. You know, why come to this event and and what were your ideas, goals, thoughts going into it? Yeah, yeah. So I am from Illinois. It's about 16 and a half hours away. The weather right now is really less than ideal. I'm a warm weather person and it's like 30 degrees up there. So uh, this year I am finally doing the Iowa Wind and Rock, which is uh, uh, used to be called the Trans-Iowa. And that's... In a, in a couple of weeks, so I wanted to get an event under my belt because I haven't really been able to train much, and I've I've been on uh, recently converted to single speed in the last four months. So I I really wanted to get and have an opportunity to do a long event. So that that was why I, why I came down. I saw that you had a really good time last year. And I wanted to see you again, wanted to come down to Texas. So the timeline worked out. The distance was great. And yeah, just the thought, distance wasn't great. You doubled it. Yeah. So <laughs> I was starting to think about like, if I go fast, right? Like, so if, if I, and fast is all relative, it depends on who you are as a person. Especially on a single speed. <laughs> and what type of bike you have and um, that sort of thing. So say, say I was on single speed with the Fargo. Uh, which is a drop, I think they call it a drop bar touring mountain bike. But I use it for a lot. I use it for 75% of my my riding, basically. So it's very versatile. I think you have one. Yeah, I have one. Yeah. Anyway, so I knew I'd be on that. But if I went fast, it would be maybe like like 13 and a half miles an hour. So that's still a pretty pretty quick event. And I started to do the math. And I figured out like my drive time, from Illinois and back was going to be as long as my race time, so say 32 hours. And I just thought, if I'm down here and I'm taking the time off of work, I might as well do the route twice because I have the the time to do it. And uh, 
double the fun, maybe <laughs> double the pain. It was a learning experience. It was a big learning experience. The single speed was very challenging. Yeah. Yep. So you said I've recently converted to single speed. Does that mean you're locked in on single speed or you're still dabbling? I mean, the Fargo is. Yeah. I mean, I still have my drop bar shifter on there because the cables run underneath the the handlebar grip or the, the bar tape, the bar I should tape. say. So if I if I wanted to, I could throw a cable in there and a 12-speed cassette on there and be 12-speed and in a heartbeat, but I'm... I'm locked in on single speed for now. So like Iowa Wind and Rock. Iowa Wind and Rock. Single I signed speed. up single speed. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I did um and, and Bikes or Death played a big part of this, really. I did the Arkansas High Country race and I, I finished like maybe eight hours or so before Brett. And I had met Brett and wrapped out with him briefly in Hot Springs, which is where the race starts next year. And he was on single speed. And I had been listening to the Bikes or Death podcast, and you had some single speeders on there, Seth Wood, and a couple other people. So, like, this whole idea was, like, just this little seed that I was watering in my brain. And then Lindsay Shepard showed up, and she was doing single speed. And I was like, ooh, this plant's getting a little bit bigger, like a little <laughs> bit more water. And, and the two the, winners of last year's showdown were both on single speed. Yep, yep. And I just thought it's something new. Uh, it really excites me. The Fargo's capable to do it. Like, let's just try it. And after, I, I, so I talked with Brett after he finished the race. I, I was able to see Stephanie. him finish. Yeah, and and eat some breakfast with him and just talk about his setup and stuff. And he's been single speed for a very long time. And so I just made the leap into it and I just really enjoyed the simplicity of it and everything, all the positive things that people have said on your podcast about it all hold true it's a different feeling um it's it's really nice not to have to worry about that derailleur and shifting your gears and for me I, i've always struggled to try and not be competitive in a sport that is really an individual sport right. although some people always are competing with other people's times so i thought maybe this is another step into me focusing more on myself and my efforts versus my efforts versus somebody else's efforts and it really did help out there yeah like i wasn't i i would look up pull up the trackers and i'd be like oh i'm kind of around some people <clears throat> and i'd be on a flat spot and i would just get passed by like six people and i'm like holy shit like <laughs> you can't do anything yeah. I'm, I'm already i'm already pulled over i can't pull over any further right <laughs> like i'm going my speed and that's really cool and i think i got i did a really good job i got really lucky with my gearing for the race i did a uh for me i'm not that strong and i have a, a heavy setup so i did 36 oval up front and 17 tooth in the back. And I thought that was like, it felt really good for like 90% of it. And I, you know, I was talking with um, Dylan before the race and we were hanging out and he was saying Bailey Newberry and this other guy, forget the other guy's name, we're doing the tour divide on single speed. And I rolled up at the beginning of the race and I was like, I, 
I'm in the wrong gear. And he started laughing and he was like, I'm pretty <laughs> sure that's the point of single speed is you're always in the wrong gear. <laughs> and he was telling me about those guys, how each of them at the end of the race felt like one of them said they could have went bigger. The other one said he could have went smaller on the gearing. So you just, ne- you just never know what's going to happen out there. But the thing is you can't change, right? Like, so yeah. single speed, if you're doing, um, whether it's an event like the East Texas showdown or the tour divide or whatever, you have to complete the route. Same with Iowa and rock. You have to complete the route in the same cog mm-hmm. that you started it with. Yeah. So you're, you're dialed in from yeah. the beginning. Yeah. You're committed. Well, you're right. I mean, the idea of single speeding for me is like it, it, takes away any mental energy that you would spend on even worrying about it worrying about going faster worrying Mm -hmm. about being able to shift or whatever you just it it goes away it's one thing you just don't have to worry about at all and for me it's it's uh it's relaxing Mm -hmm. i think it's a more relaxing way to ride the bike it reminds me of being a kid on a bmx bike and just Mm, you know whenever there's a hill you're huffing and you're you know doing your thing or you're walking but Mm -hmm. you know that's that's just it just is so simple that i really love the simplicity simplicity of it the the oval uh, mm-hmm. How is that working? Is that a new uh, thing for you? A new piece of gear? Yeah, or, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I haven't tried one yet. I want. I want to put mm-hmm. one on that crust. Actually, I'm, I want to try that out. I was originally Wolf Tooth Thirty Four Oval, and I was spinning out around like thirteen and a half on the flats. And I thought, oh, I might want something a little bit bigger. Wolf Tooth doesn't make a thirty six, so I went with an absolute black thirty six tooth. And for I, I so I haven't ridden an oval on a non-single speed bike, so I can't say whether you'd feel the difference on that. But with the single speed, you are on the steeper climbs. You're usually getting out of the saddle and you're mashing on the pedals, and you could really you don't feel the difference when you're just pedaling, but you can tell when you're standing up and climbing where that short spot is versus the tall spot, and it helps you continue the rotation in a smooth manner and it felt it felt like the climbing was easier and i was more efficient and i would definitely recommend it you know try it if you don't like it you can always sell it on ebay yeah you know which is what i do with a lot of parts i ebay a lot of parts yeah because i don't know if i'm gonna like it or not so like you buy and sell them on there? Yeah, yeah. You know. Saddles. I mean, I went through tons of saddles, probably 10 saddles in the last four years. I did that a lot, too, when I was working, looking for the perfect saddle. I've mm-hmm. landed on the Cambion mm. uh, C17 or whatever yes, it is. Yeah, I had a it C17 on, on my fat bike, bike, and I liked the feel of it. It was too wide for me. So maybe a C15 is C15 a more narrow? Is that how that works? Yeah, yeah C fifteen okay. would be more narrow. Yep. Yeah, I have. A, I actually I don't have a white ass. I have white sit bones. Mm-hmm. I'm like pretty skinny and narrow, but like I went. And, so I always thought I needed a narrow saddle. Yeah. So I recommended people to like go actually get your sit bones like measured at your local bike shop, um, because I actually have a really wide sit bone, and mm-hmm. so once I figured that out, it really helped like narrow in, and that's just a matter of you know finding a, a saddle that works. Yeah. On on the topic of gear. Mm-hmm. One thing I think is interesting about your setup, other than it being single speed, uh, is is your cockpit setup. It's, <laughs> it's it's 
let's just say it's different than what you would maybe normally see. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of Hal Russell, actually, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. 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 But tell us about your cockpit setup and, and why you have it set up that way. Sure. Yeah, and, and this is something that I've been working on since since the first American Char race back in 2017. I experienced a lot of hand numbness, and all I had were just, I didn't have any arrow bars at that time. And I realized, hey, let's get some arrow bars on there. Not so much for being arrow, but just to have another ride position and have another hand position. So now I've added the arrow bars. And now I put the arrow bars on risers. Well, that looks like kind of a good position to have a water bottle. Um, I remember Lael posted this picture. She had a water bottle connected to her um, stem cap on her um, steer tube. So there's a product that King Cage out of Colorado makes that connects to your steer tube head bolt. And so that will actually, is a, is a water bottle mount. So I have a, a Lazine, I think it's their power cage, aluminum cage, mounted onto that King Cage water bottle mount in between my arrow bars. And then on my arrow bars, uh, this is something I designed for the Trans Am, is a little arrow bar. Mm, it's kind of like a piece of PVC, but it just connects the two ends of your arrow bars. And so I can mount my GPS computer on mm -hmm. there. And same with GPS, like it's old school. I use a Garmin E-Trex 30 and I just follow a breadcrumb. So I don't have any additional information and just tells me where to go. I don't have any elevation profiles, anything like that. And then underneath that, I have a handlebar extender from Amazon. They're, they're pretty cheap. Um, I get the aluminum ones because the quote-unquote carbon fiber extender bar is actually just plastic. So you might as well get an aluminum one. <laughs> You're saving like 10 grams for the quote-unquote carbon fiber one. So if you look underneath my arrow bars, you'll see the sine wave cycles beacon light, which is a dynamo light that can be powered off of a USB battery pack. And that's one of my favorite pieces of gear because right now I don't have a dynamo light. Yeah. So I just carry two 10,000 milliamp packs, ran the same setup like that for the Arkansas High Country race, no issues. Um, and when, will, will that battery, like how long will two 10 milliliter Milliamp. Uh, milliamp. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's, uh, I've, I've run a test on there. Um, and these were, and unfortunately the battery packs weren't new. So I don't know the accuracy versus a kind of a, a worn battery pack versus a new one. They're both anchor 10,000 milliamp battery packs. It will run the light for 36 hours on low beam. When I'm riding, I would say low beam is sufficient for 90%. I normally only cook it up to the high beam, which is, I think, 750 lumens versus 250 if I'm going downhill and I'm not, fam and I'm not familiar with it. Yeah. So uh, that gives me, like, I didn't have to charge my battery packs at all okay. for this race. Yeah. And the Arkansas Country race, I think I charged them a little bit towards the end, and, and I ended up not needing it. But I, but I charged my phone and let's see the light, and then I have an external light. I think that's, oh, and my, my MP3 player are all charged off of the two anchor battery packs. And then I have a secondary light, which is a Urban Light and Motion 1000, 
and I have some issues with that light. I personally probably wouldn't recommend it, but it's what I have, so I just continue to use it. Are you mounting that on your helmet? That No, that goes on the handlebar extender. Oh, okay. Yep, so that's all So that's a backup? That's a backup light, yeah. And okay. if I'm if I'm looking for a camp spot, I take it like I can swivel it on there and kind of look at the sides of the road, or I can dis I can unmount it really quickly. And then when I'm setting up camp, I just basically hold it in my mouth like a yeah. like a flashlight. What about so like I always recommend that people have a, a light on their helmet mm-hmm. uh, for two reasons. The most important one for me is dogs at nighttime. Uh, you can't see them if, you know, you turn your head, there's mm-hmm. no light on your head, you can't see them. The second is setting up camp, you mm-hmm. know, you don't, it's out of the way. Yeah. Uh, two questions in there. Uh, how were the dogs and do you wish you had a headlamp? <laughs> so the dogs were, and real quick before I get into this, oh, uh, sure. the handlebars are curved Walmer, like f- 65 centimeters, they're second widest ones. Oh, I have the exact same ones on my yeah, Fargo. That's yeah, so and funny. I, I really love them because I, I have I can use uh, the flat spot now because of the the arrow bars stick out, so it gives me enough real estate up there that I have one, two, I have five hand positions basically. So are you you're counting the arrow as a hand position? Yeah, you yeah. have your flat. You so have flat, your hoods. Arrow hood. Your drop. And drop, and then sometimes. I just put my hands on the arrow pads. I yeah. call that my truck driver position. Yes, I do that. That's too. like my favorite you just position. Sit, you yeah. can really sit. Yeah, up. just yeah. so relaxed. Yeah. yeah. So okay. Well, even your arrow bar setup is more relaxed. Like you talked about the risers. Mm-hmm. Uh, your 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 bike uh, tells me that you're looking to sit in the saddle all day long and be yep, comfortable yep. Give and me, like give me 18 not hours arrow for going fast you just you just yeah you want to be comfortable yeah. sit in the saddle as long as you and can and even even with the arrow set up as high as it is if i'm going down a hill versus sitting up versus tucked you can you feel a difference it's usually about like two miles an hour from looking at my computer hmm. so it does make a little bit of a difference yeah. you know um and that's the thing is if if you look at my bike the saddle actually sits lower than where the arrow bars are. So yeah. I'm actually in a very upright position. Yeah. 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 Looks yeah. comfy. That's what I, I had. I, I think I had 80 or 100 mil risers mm-hmm. on my arrow bars whenever I did the mm-hmm. Grand Gravel. Yeah. Mine are 80. Yeah. And also, I'm and not also, trying to go fast. I'm yeah. like you. I have uh, hand pain. That's yeah. my Achilles heel is like dealing with hand pain and numbness and stuff. And so arrow bars for the win if you're going to do long events. For sure. Yeah. For sure. And anybody that's worried about the risers maybe causing a durability issue or something because they, they look like they're going to break. Uh, they just never have. Like I've, I've come up on uh, like huge divots. I've come up on gravel where I've still been in the arrow. Like normally when I'm bombing hills, I'm in the arrow position even at night and it's like, it gets chunky out there. And these have tens of thousands of miles on them and I've never had them. God, now I better knock on something. I've never, <laughs> never had any issues. I never would even, I never was concerned about it. Actually, on the arrow bars, I did the exact same thing you did. I uh, mounted them where I wanted them. And then I fashioned two pieces of PVC pipe in mm-hmm. between them. I like notched out the curve mm-hmm. so it would flush mm-hmm. mount against it. And With I like a little zip tie on the end. A little zip tie. Yep. That's all it is. I, I painted them black. It was yeah. white to black. And, uh, uh, I, I put two of them on there, so I think I had, like, Garmin on one and my phone on the mm-hmm. other or something mm-hmm. like that. But I actually tried the water mount, bottle mount, but I wound up going with a different setup. But, mm-hmm. yeah, 
It's a that's a really easy and cheap hack. There's things you can buy mm-hmm. that are expensive, but get some PVC yeah. and fashion them in between. Yeah, there. for the, for us people balling on a budget, balling on a budget. Look up the YouTube channels. There's a lot of stuff you can try out there. And this is this is like it's so comfortable for me. I took I took two years off of biking where I didn't I didn't touch my bike. I rode maybe thirty miles, and then I came back. And in three months, I did the Arkansas High Country Race. And I remember like getting my bike out being like, this is going to feel so weird. And I got right on it and I was like, oh yeah, I've spent thousands of miles dialing this in to be perfect. And it felt like just like going home. Yeah. <laughs> I did want to ask you that question. I mean, I know that you've taken a couple years off cycling and, and you're, you know, so like we talked about, th- there was people at East Texas Showdown this year that I was like, you know, he's doing yo-yo. Like, oh, is he, you know, well, that's a lot. I mean, it's going to be okay. <laughs> like, like he's he hasn't ridden a little, like, lately he's going to have been off the scene, but the dude's legit. Like, he, he knows what he's doing. He's done, if you've done American Trail Race, all questions have been answered, you know. Yeah. Uh, but you did, you you stepped away uh-huh. uh, from cycling uh-huh. for a little while, and now I'm really happy to see you back in the cycling world. Um, yeah. What, wh- why step away and what brought you back? All right, hold on. Sure. Should we answer the dog question first? Yes. Okay. No. No. We'll get back to the dog okay. question. Okay. So, so this is it's a great question. I had um, I had to kind of rediscover my purpose a little bit, and we talked about what I loved about the showdown was that you have two different styles of races, and I was really struggling with where I was at about um, wanting to get sponsored, and then having sponsors reach out to me and then realizing that I don't like these sponsors don't have the products I want. Like, do, do I want to work with these guys sort of thing? These, these companies and then kind of getting like butt hurt about like watching people go out there and bike pack and stay in hotels and have unlimited resources. And here I am working my ass off and placing, you know, top three, if not winning every race that I get in and just like hearing crickets on the other line. Um, And I'm so fortunate for that experience because it brought me to like where I am today, which is having this new found respect and understanding of bikepacking. And what really the conversation I had with myself was that for me to kind of understand bikepacking was if you look at humans, there's all different types of humans. You've got uh, tall people, short people, uh, black people, white people, Indian people. There's all these different type of humans, and they're all good. There's the same thing with bikepacking. There's all these different types of bikepackers, and as long as you're following the rules, who cares? You know. And I would, I was getting so butt hurt because, you know, like the one that really was hard for me to get over was like people staying in hotels. You know, because I don't have I don't have the money to stay in hotels, so I'm packing three pounds on my bike. I don't have the money to buy a gravel bike. That's seven pounds. My Fargo weighs twenty seven pounds. A, a good gravel bike weighs twenty pounds. So I'm always like seeing myself as a disadvantage. And what I had to realize was that's not what I wanted. Like that's not what I needed. I needed to be happy with what I have. And so it just took me a while to get there. And the other big thing, um, and this wraps into where I'm where I'm headed at in life now, is that when my brother passed away, 
um, I started traveling. It was the first time I ever left the country. And so I, I went to Southeast Asia. I was over there for 17 weeks. I went to Peru. I uh, went to Mexico. I went to Ireland. And then I got into the uh, Lead Man series. And that's like, that's trickles into how I got into bikepacking. And so then I got obsessed with bikepacking, like obsessed. Like I have to get sponsored. I'm training. I've actually got like a coach, that sort of thing. And when I was doing that, I stopped traveling. I didn't have any time or money for traveling. So I always felt like I had to pick one or the other. And I, it's just, I couldn't figure, I couldn't figure it out. Like, how do I make this work? I couldn't make it work. And it was, made me very unhappy. <laughs> and so fast forward to today, and uh, I, I talked with Patrick a little bit about this uh, at the Bullet Grill is in, two, I have a game plan in two years, I am selling everything I own except for my bike and I'm flying up to Alaska and I'm going to travel around the world while doing volunteer work and live off my bike. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. So that is my dream. And yeah. I'm and I'm finally going to pursue it. So I have I have the traveling, I have the bike packing. I have all of the beautiful people in the world and hopefully I will be able to provide some volunteer services along yeah. the way and share that experience with people. So right now I would assume you're financially probably trying to get, you know, things in order and said, yeah. are you doing events now to like, like, are you training for that? Is that like what you're training no, for? Or? No. Um, so, and I posted the other day, like, oh, my bikepacking race, quote unquote, racing days are numbered. Events just cost money. Like that's just, it, uh, unless I'm doing something at home, it's, it's probably going to cost me some sort of money to do these events. So I am starting, like the clock is ticking. I've got 24 months to get some money in my bank account and that's what I'm going to have. I'm like, I'm not going to have a job in two years. So I have to find that balance of like going to do some events and still enjoying them because I do like, I, this was amazing for me. I really needed this. I'm so fortunate that I was a part of it and I got to come down here. So yeah, we'll see what I have in store for the future for events. Right now I only have Iowa Wind and Rock planned. And then the other thing is I mentioned that my father passed away in late November. So I have to help my mother get situated, um, especially before I leave in the next two years. So I don't know what that looks like this summer, but I, I, I want to be available for her. So this is the most open my summer has ever been. I have, I have nothing planned <laughs> and it feels really strange. I bet. Yeah. Are you nervous for you know, let's say, I mean, maybe you're not nervous yet, but let's say in two years when you're about to ride your bike, mm -hmm. you know, into the unknown, essentially, mm -hmm. you, do you think you'll have some fears surrounding that? Or do you feel like, like that's just where you're being pointed and you're just going to follow that? I mean, my, it's just like my heart has been telling me this for a long time and I'm finally acknowledging it. So it feels incredible. There are legitimate like some legitimate concerns about it but i don't think that there is anything to be worried about in the long run it's going to be fine like i'm exactly where i need to be i need to put a little bit of faith in the universe and know that it will provide for me and um understand that 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 is how life goes and where whatever I have saved up when I leave is is what I have saved up, and the, 
I, I'm at a place, and, and this is something that bikepacking has given me and some other things I've done throughout the years, is I'm incredibly confident in my skill set and my ability to cope with any situation that arises. Yeah. So if you look at, like, I just got into real estate a year and a half ago, and I'm doing amazing I can always come back to real estate. Yeah. I did carpentry for two years. I was amazing at it. I can do carpentry. I waited tables for 20 years. I can find a restaurant right. job at any time in my life. What I can't do is when I'm 50 is roll back the clock 10 years and say, dude, do you remember when you turned 40, you were going to go travel the world? I'll, I'll never be able to turn that clock right. back. So absolutely, I'm, I'm, terrified on some levels but i think it's just an the natural fear and you have to kind of understand that yeah well and it's like i was saying to you when we were chatting about this the other day like um most people aren't stepping out of their you know good real estate job and mm -hmm. you know all these things and and their comforts at home and all this to pursue this what you're trying to do i mean i i think but um, it goes back to like bikepacking and stuff and like take like, what do I need? You know, what's going to mm -hmm. make me happy when I'm on my deathbed or whatever? Like, am, am I going to sit back and be like, oh, I should have done that or should have done that? You know, and, you know, we're, we're both real estate agents uh, <laughs> and, and like it can be a little bit soul sucking, at least I felt like. And that's where I started the podcast just mm -hmm. because I needed something in my life that provided value and meaning that I felt like. You know, I feel like, you know, when I'm older, I'll be like, okay, I did, it, I did something. I didn't just make money mm -hmm. and just, you know, whatever. I like money doesn't really matter. Money is nice as it provides you the seven pounds lighter bike and mm -hmm. hotel rooms and stuff like that. But how did you get that money? <laughs> There's a cost for it. There's always a cost. There's a cost. There's a huge cost. And I talk about that a lot too. It's like you want to have a nice house or a nice truck. Well, you're going to work for it, you know, in some way, shape, or what form. What is the there's value a, a of your time for that thing? Which is, wouldn't you rather like be doing something meaningful or mm -hmm. something that, you know, pursue something that really brings you value in your life? Mm -hmm. Like that. I'm grateful. Ash Alexander, a good friend of mine, man, probably six or seven years ago. Um, he's like 37 now and mm -hmm. retired with a, with money in his bank. You know, he's, nice. he's retired. Um, and he didn't get there just with a handout. He uh, sacrificed a lot of things, lived extremely simply and, and worked and invested and did, mm -hmm. did all these things. And, and he's the one who put that in my head. He's like, man, you got to like all these, you know, I, I had like, a, you know, a house and I had this expensive truck and all this. He's like, you're having to work X number of hours. And I actually did the math. I don't remember what it was now, but it's like an exorbitant amount of my life mm. was being spent uh, pursuing those things, buying those things, maintaining those things, mm -hmm. all that stuff. It's like, but what are they giving back to me? Mm -hmm. You know? And so that was one of the most critical things in my life where I could let all those, you know, quote unquote worldly things go and start focusing on the people, the things, the experiences that are going to provide value and meaning in my life. Mm -hmm. And God, that's been a paradigm shift. And that's what you're doing. I yeah. mean, you're like, you're like, what do, does Indy need, you know? And What brings and, me joy. Dude, and, but <laughs> this is something that I think that like we don't talk about enough is like, 
like life is kind of complicated and uh you have to work at it, you know, like there's not always a roadmap, you know, you kind of have to work no, at no. it and, and spend time thinking about these things to figure it out. And a lot of times when, when life is happening to us, we don't really understand why, but now I can look back like eight years ago and my brother passed away and I can kind of understand how that led me into this journey of tra traveling the world for the first time, getting into these endurance events, which has led me to bike packing, And then all of a sudden here I am at 38 and I'm like, wow, okay, I get it now. Like I can kind of see a little bit of maybe why these things happened. Yeah. I'm going to get to combine those things. What? And I'm going to go like hang out. Like that's one of the hardest things too. And I think I, I might've talked about this on our first podcast, but like when you're going fast and you meet somebody at a gas station and they want to have a cup of coffee with you, it is so damn hard not to sit down and have a cup of coffee with that guy yep. and listen to their story. And now, now I will have no agenda. If I'm in Alaska and somebody's like, you want to work on a fishing boat for three months? I'm going to say, hell yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. I think I'm excited to follow your journey. I know that you're planning on documenting it in yeah, some way. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously you can always come on the podcast, but it'll be neat for you to be able to tell your story as mm -hmm. you go and, and share that as another example of uh, an alternative lifestyle, you know, mm -hmm. a different way to pursue meaningful, uh, meaningful things, people, places, experiences, and happiness. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited for you. It's uh, I like how you're putting it out there. It's much like how when you showed up to the race, you were like, I'm yo-yoing. Mm -hmm. And if I don't yo-yo, this is a DNF. Mm -hmm. And and you're saying right now, I'm leaving in two years. And if I don't, it's a DNF. Nobody believes me. Yeah, I believe you. And, oh, and well, people that know me on a different level believe me. And my one of my dear friends, Brian Steele, uh, I was really struggling with this this decision. And I'm like, I can't get it out of my head. And he was like, well, I'll share a practice with you. And you know, you can do with it what you want, if, if you want to practice it or not. And he, he said, write a letter to the, to the universe. You're going to write three letters. One's going to be dated a year from today. One will be three years and one will be five years. Write those letters, put them in an envelope, and put them on the shelf. And some, something happens. I don't know what it is, but once – and it took me four months to really come to terms of what I wanted to do. But once I wrote those letters, like a huge weight was lifted off my shoulders. You know, and this was this was also in, in, in tandem with that, like getting permission from my parents to sell the house was another big hurdle because when I when I moved back to Illinois, it was so I could take care of my parents, and basically I, I bought their house so they'd always have a place to stay. And um, I called my mom last summer and I talked to her about it, and it was very interesting because she said that's the best decision I've heard you talk about in, in eight years it's really strange like she knew she knew like I'm, I'm just being kind of complacent back home like it's not really where i should be but it's where i am right now so i make the best of it right like it's where I, you need I'm, to be right now it's where it's where i am right um and so having that permission to like let go of that house is really what has provided me the opportunity to go out and do this. Like I'll at least I'll have a little bit of money from selling the house. You know, I won't be broke, broke. I won't be rich, rich, 
right in the middle, you know? <laughs> and and I think that's going to be a big part of the experience. Like I wouldn't want to go out there with a lot of money yeah. because then you then you have the luxury of, oh, I'm going to stay in a hotel yeah, or take maybe I won't do volunteer work at this community. Um, it's really interesting. I read this book um, that a friend recommended to me. It was called, uh, I think it's called To Shake the Sleeping Self or To Wake the Sleeping Self. It's about this guy. He's a journalist. Um, he kind of has like a midlife crisis. In the beginning of the book, I really connected with. He's talking about how you go out and see the world for the first time. It's like seeing the world through the eyes of a child and time moves slowly and you appreciate things differently. So his plan is to ride from, I think it's Seattle or Portland, all the way down to the south tip of South Africa. And I'm like, this is going to be amazing. So I start reading it. And then like the first time it rains, like he hitchhikes somewhere. And I was like, dude, like, and then throughout the rest of the story, he just like, anytime it gets really hard, he finds a way out. <laughs> and like, he gets his trip funded by Kickstarter. And, and I mean, I feel like a, a, a total dick, but I'm like, dude, you missed out on so much. Like you had a really good growth experience, but I think you missed out on a lot more. Yeah. Because that's where, you know, as we've talked about, you've, you grow the most is when you're the most uncomfortable. Yeah. The adventure starts when shit goes wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's, that's true. Exciting stuff. I'm, I'm so excited. <laughs> like, and I, I've been, I've been teasing it on like Facebook and yeah. a few people have been like, dude, what are you talking about? Like yeah. two years, was like, one of them was like, like, what the hell's happening? And I'm like, uh, I'm pretty sure I'll see Patrick and maybe I'll get on the podcast and talk oh, yeah. about it. If you come all the way from Illinois and you make it easy on me too, because like the first time you came to my house mm -hmm. and the second time, first time we were in my uh, dining room. Now we're in my yeah. living room. Yeah. So yeah, we'll just do it in my house every time. Yeah. Make it easy on me. Yeah. No traveling. Unless <laughs> I, you wanna... I do appreciate you coming here. Cause you, I mean, you know, for people listening, like you finished the ride yesterday at uh, eight eight thirty. It was like yeah, right around eight twenty or so. So just a little over three and a half days. Three and a half days. Yeah. Uh, did you have a goal going into it of a time? Goal? Yeah, yeah. I, I when I crunched the numbers and everything, I really thought that I would finish around seventy six to eighty hours. And then I remember talking to you after the first hundred or first ninety miles at the Family Dollar, and I was like. I'm a fucking rock star. I'm going to finish this in two days. <laughs> I, maybe I won't sleep tonight. I'm so glad I slept that first night because um, I woke up and my, my knee and my Achilles were just blown up. So, yeah, that was one of those things where, hey, life lesson, let's, let's, let's take a step back. You're very uncomfortable right now. You're not going to make the time that you thought you were going to make, but you're exactly where you need to be. Right. Let's break it down into uh, your first 380 and your second 380 sure. miles. Sure. What was your first 380 like? So the first like hundred was very fast, um, and I th and I think after that when the, when the midday heat, I didn't notice how hot it was until we were standing outside the family dollar. Oh yeah. And I was chugging <laughs> chocolate milk. We got a picture like, of it. I was like, it's pretty hot out here. Um, uh. And I, I, th I think I haven't experienced an 80 degree day since, uh, yeah, Coast, since Costa Rica in November. So I think that was a shock to my system a little bit. And I was riding really strong all the way to um, Jacksonville. And then I kind of started to notice some knee pain. 
And then I, I, th- there's a community around. Is there a lake in Jacksonville? Yeah. So I can, yeah, <laughs> lot, all the chocolate milk. <laughs> yeah, you got a half gallon that you're just throwing yeah. down. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can drink about not three the, quarters. Not of the that. sissy, like little one. You, you're no. like, I'm going <laughs> go for right, the big guy. No, yeah, so, there's a, uh, yeah, the Jack, coming out of Jack, is that, are you talking about coming out of Jacksonville, that first, like, yeah, neighborhood? Yeah, there's like a, the, it, I got there both times I rode the route reverse and forward it was dark okay so i couldn't see but there's like some like some hills back yeah, there it's really it's interesting and i'm like i wonder what this is like so i will describe it for you it is a it, it's a really unique part of the race or the route um it does go through a neighborhood and the neighborhood uh surrounds lake uh jacksonville i believe or whatever or is it livingston up there i can't remember um but uh, the house, like you might have like a shanty and then like a $2 million house. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just a really eclectic mix. And the roads are so interesting. If you can see it during the day, I mean, you just saw the up and down, but they mm-hmm. twist and they, it's like, who designed this neighbor? I mean, from a real estate perspective, I'm like looking at this thing and I'm like, what is going on here? But, but I, I love taking people. And, and one thing I love is seeing the way different people live. And, mm-hmm. you know, especially whenever you get out there and it's just, it's you, you have a better appreciation understanding for maybe what What's going on in area whenever you ride through places like that you mm-hmm. know? yeah oh yeah yeah it's a different experience and it's really cool to see that it's funny as a realtor now i'm always looking at the houses and it yeah i've seen setups like that before in like mississippi and tennessee where it's half million dollar mansion trailer park or a mobile home whatever you want to call it half million dollar mansion uh, garbage bins, <laughs> you know, like what, what, what is this? Like it's, there's no rhyme or reason to it. Um, so yeah, I didn't get to see that during the day. The first, so the first half of the race, it seemed pretty fast, but I think it was conditions were amazing. Everybody was, was fueled up and trying to go fast. And then I think there may be a little bit less elevation in the first part. There's a little bit of road, but there's also still a good amount of gravel in there. It's very beautiful. Yeah, you get more more road in the beginning, mm-hmm. and then you start getting more and more gravel as you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I had I actually thought I was going to have to go into Jacksonville because of the time I showed up. I think it was right around 10.30 p.m., and I didn't know there's a Chevron gas station on the corner. They were they were still open. And I'm like, sweet. Like I wasn't looking for even though it's like a mile and a half, maybe to the Whataburger. To the Whataburger. And then coming back. Like I just I know comfort kills. Like and I always tell people think I'm a fast biker. I'm I've never been fast. I'm consistent. You know, I try not to sit down and eat. I try and anything I have to do, I try and do on the bike. And that's one of those things like you just learn with experience. But also I usually carry more shit than I need. So maybe that's not the best either. Um, I'm built for, I'm built for like the long haul, right? Like I'm not a good sprinter. Anyways, I I still didn't want to go into town because I didn't want to sit down. And I'm like, oh, it's an easily an hour if I go into town. Oh yeah. And I had checked the track leaders beforehand and it looked like there was like five people there. So I'm like, yeah, all right, let's just keep going. So I get out of the gas station and um, all of a sudden I've got a group of three behind me and a group of two in front of me. And we all just kept like leapfrogging each other because of the hills. And I think that that was probably where I 
put the final nail in the coffin for blowing up my knees as I was like trying to keep up with them on the hills. And I was feeling like a rock star, like, woo, we're riding into the night. Maybe I'll ride all night. And we got out of that section, um, went through like this, this like mobile RV park, which it was crazy because on Friday night, people were, it was like 1130, people were grilling, people were jamming, like the music was blaring. When I went back through on Sunday, it was dead quiet. <laughs> and I'm like, well, shit, people were just here for the weekend. Yeah. I thought it was kind of like more of a permanent place. Anyway, so we get through there and we started to get back into, it might be National Forest. Um, and I'm right in the middle of these people. Like I can kind of see the taillights up front. I can't see the lights behind me, but I know they're behind me. And it might be like 1230 or one at this point in time. I see a, a berm, like a six foot berm up on the left with some pine trees. And I'm thinking that would be a good place to camp. So, cause no cars would see me or anything like that. And I got it. I always have a ton of reflectors on my bike. So it makes <laughs> stealth camping a little bit more difficult. Because I've had I've been sleeping in the woods before. This happened in Arkansas. But I I didn't want to lay my bike down, so I set it next to a tree, and I had like five people stop because they could see the reflector and they wanted to know what it was. And I'm like, oh, so found this great camp spot, pushed my bike up there. Yeah, this will work. And then I heard the people go by, the gravel people. Probably heard six people go by throughout the night. Uh, I didn't have great service. The weather looked like it was okay. And I had slept for maybe three hours. I got a little bit of rain, raindrop on me. And I have a, a Bora, Bora gear bivy bag, which is not waterproof and it has bug netting on it. So it breathes really well, but terrible for the rain. First raindrop, it stopped. I, I opened up my weather app and it said like 30% chance of rain. So I was like, yeah, I'll chance it. Second raindrop, like maybe 15 minutes later, like sat up, okay, it stopped. And then the third time I could hear it on the leaves around me and I'm like, okay, just get up. Like quit being lazy about it before you get poured on. But it was just enough rain that it kind of got everything wet. And so I hopped back on the bike and immediately was like, fuck, like my knee is destroyed, my left knee and my right Achilles is destroyed. So there must have been, I think probably my right leg was compensating if my left leg was getting weak. So maybe I was pulling up more with the right leg, hence the Achilles problem. So I pedaled for two hours to like see if it could, if it would go away. It didn't really go away. I was still pretty sleepy. Um, I saw a church and this, at this time it was pretty much daylight out. So I pulled over, um, got out the sleeping gear again. I figured it'd dry out a little bit and slept for a half hour, woke up. And I remember that Brett Stepanek had messaged me the day before. And I was like, yeah, I'm kind of nervous about this race. And he, he gave me some pointers. And he said, if, you get, if you're experiencing any knee pain or any pain at all, try shifting your saddle and your cleats around a bit. Mm. So when I woke up, I, I just I took the time to shift my saddle forward and my cleats backwards a little bit to try and get a different pressure point on my knees and stuff. I don't know if it helped or not. Like I was still <laughs> in a lot of pain. So I was just eating, I, I started eating four Advil every six hours or whatever to kind of help with that swelling. So that, that part of that was second, the second day was more of a recovery than anything. Um, trying to think 
So I slept at like mile 220, got back up at mile 240. And then the Bullet Grill House is mile 340. Yeah, 340 yeah. the first time. So I got it. three, I got there, I can't remember what time, maybe four, maybe 4 p.m. And it was, it had been another hot day. Uh, so I was feeling the effects of that. But more than anything, it was just the knee, the knee pain. And so I went out, I stopped there for a little bit, said, said hi to you guys. And then I went out for, I think you guys call it the death loop, yeah. the death loop. Um, and I hit that at 5 PM and there was a ton of traffic and it's just like those weird two lane highways and the, and there's just like a one mile stretch where there's not a, a big shoulder. And so that kind of freaks me out a little bit and then it opens right back up. Um, and I was, I got dusted that night by like three or four cars. Not like they went by fast or anything. It just happened to be high traffic in a dusty area. So my lungs were also kind of like hurting a little bit. I was feeling the dust. And then I started to get this like feeling in the bottom of my stomach that like this wasn't a good idea. Like maybe I shouldn't go out for another loop. And then I saw the... Like to complete the yo-yo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, shit, like... I don't like this feeling and, and I'm very big on listening to your gut. Like it's, it's very important, especially when you're traveling, like it'll tell you when you're in a bad situation, you better listen to it. It's almost always right. So that really started to concern me. And then I saw there's like a little, is, is there a forest part up there on that death loop? Mm -hmm. It's a really beautiful part. Yeah. It's uh, one of my favorite parts in Sam Houston national forest. Yeah. yeah. Like, Oh, that was beautiful. Um, the media car was up there, so I stopped and, and started talking to them, and I told them about what I was feeling, and they were like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, like, I could, I don't care about the DNF. Like, I don't have to prove anything to anybody. It's just this weird feeling. So uh, and then, then on the ride, ride back, um, I specifically remember the, uh, the sunset was very beautiful, and the moon, the silhouette of the moon was like picturesque and i was going to take a picture of it on my cell phone but now that i have a real camera like i just don't even bother with those <laughs> photos because they never look as good so i took yeah. a mental i took a really good mental picture of it that was pretty pretty beautiful and then by the time i got back to the bullet grill house i, I had a plan of i'll check in with work and i'll check in with my mother to make sure that she's okay and she was like she's like the weather sucks but i'm fine and i'm like okay so yeah, I spent about an hour, and then I was talking to you a little bit, and you were like, you want some food? And I'm like, no, I'll get stuck here. And I think I left at about 9 for my second lap. So so what, I mean, you came in, and you were mm -hmm. like, I'm having these feelings. I was mm -hmm. like, you know, you got to handle whatever you got to handle. So obviously, I gave you some time and space to do yeah. that. I saw you on the phone. And uh, I saw you over there starting to like pack up some gear. I'm like, okay, it looks like he might be headed back out. <laughs> uh, was there any like defining thing that switched that that made you feel like comfortable to keep going, or just that my, knowing my mom was okay? Yeah. yeah, it was like a like a something in the pit of my stomach was just like it's not good. Yeah, you know. And then after my dad just passing away, like I just had to make sure she was okay. Yeah. And so when I'm out there. Like I use this as an opportunity to put my phone on do not disturb. I, I, when I used to do these races, I would do big social media posts about like, here's track leaders. Don't call me. Don't text me. Like I'm not the person who's like, I'm, 
I need to talk to you. I'm yeah. like, leave me, leave me alone, please. <laughs> this is what I want. And um, every time you turn your phone back on, it's like, like a million messages and it's just distracting. And I don't know. Anyway, so um, yeah, I had to, I had to just like check in with reality for a little bit and everything's okay. Yeah, so you <laughs> yeah. So essentially, I mean, you rode 380, uh, 380 miles without any contact with anyone. You had a feeling and yeah. you wanted to kind of yeah. work through I had, that. I had to, I had to yeah. check it out okay. a little bit further. Well, I was happy to see you. Uh, I mean, I went over, I was like, how's it going? You're like, oh, just ten, tightening my chain and mm-hmm. getting ready to head back out. I'm like, great. Yeah, and that was really, so single speed, that was all I I had to do was I, I lubed it once at the halfway point and adjusted the dropouts a little bit just to tighten it because it was just a little bit loose. Mm-hmm. And maintenance-wise, that was it for the bike. It was pretty, ran really well. So where are you at uh, physically? It sounds like mentally you had some concerns, mm-hmm. but you've 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 worked through those. But your knee, yep. how are you feeling, your Achilles? So somewhere in that death loop, it started to go away. And I was like, yes. Like you, I'd worked through the pain. Interesting. For like 16 hours, you just work through the pain. And that that's the thing is like, does it hurt? Yes. Am I injured? No. Like, can I get through it? Yeah. Is it going to suck? Probably. Mm-hmm. But it's going to feel really good if you don't stop. You know, it's going to be pretty cool. Yeah. Like, that's just another, I think David Goggins calls it uh, a cookie in your cookie jar. You know, every time he does something that sucks or is really tough, he puts that cookie in his mental cookie jar. So when when things are shitty, he's like, man, you've been here before. You've done worse than this. Like, buck up. Yeah, eat that cookie. Mm. <laughs> Drink that chocolate milk. You'll be fine. So I went back out and physically was feeling really, really well. Um, and the thing was, I was like, shoot, it's going to take me probably about four hours to do the death loop. I didn't want to sleep at the, uh, I mean, I wanted to, but <laughs> it wasn't a good idea to sleep at the bar or the, the camping area just because there'd be so many people coming in and out. So, and then in between there and on Alaska, there's really no camping. So I knew that there was old on Alaska road and that was, that was basically my goal. Um, so I left the grill at like 9 PM was cruising and I think I got to my camp spot the next morning at like 4 a.m. So that was another 80 miles. So the first day I did 220. Second day I did like 240, I think. Yeah. Or 260. Yeah, because I, I would have finished. Well, Wait, no, no, no. So it would have been. When did you, you your next sleep was on old on no, Alaska so Road? No, around 440. So I think I did 220 and 220. Okay. Yeah. But the, I mean, it was a longer day that second day to get that 220 because I didn't go to sleep until 4 a.m. Yeah. But that was a really good sleep. I found, uh, you know, behind there was this huge berm, like built up land. And I just took my bike around there right off the road. And there's not a lot of traffic back there anyways. And it was a super flat spot. And I'm like, sweet. I set up right before the sunrise. And I slept three hours and it started to get warm in my bivy bag. And I like shot right up. And I thought I had slept like eight hours. <laughs> I felt freaking awesome. And I was like, holy shit, it's only been three hours. So I woke up and I'm like, I was back on the bike at like 830 the next day. And I'm like, here we go. Like <laughs> thought I was going to crush it. But um Things just kind of progressively slowed down a little bit since then. 
I saw an albino deer. No way. Yes. I was going to ask you about it. It's at I've the, never the seen Kick, Kickapoo one. Ranch. Okay. They got that big ranch out there. So it has the big, tall wire fence. And there was three deer, and one of them was an albino. And I was like, holy shit. Like, was it uh, a buck or a doe? It was a doe. I've never, I've only seen them in pictures. I've never seen one in real life. Yeah. I mean, they're extremely rare. As you... uh, so I thought that was really cool. That's a good sign. Yeah. I take that as a definite good yeah. sign. <laughs> and so I, I was like, all right, man, you're here, you're doing this. Like, let's slow, slow it down a bit, take some photos. Um, let's stop and talk to anybody that wants to talk to you. And then some of the riders coming the other way. I chatted out, yeah. chatted with them, which That's is really cool. cool huh? Yeah, and they're like, you're doing what? And then they're like, fuck. Oh, you're Indiana, huh? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> there was some guy who, who said he had followed me during the Trans Am. Um, one, one guy had actually, I was passing him on the road, so I didn't stop. It wasn't a gravel road. It was a paved road. But I was like, you're doing great. And I have a, a mirror on my drop bar on the left so I can see traffic. And I saw he turned around and started to follow me. And I th and he must have thought that uh, he was going the wrong way, oh, which shit. which is a trip because if nobody knows that I'm turned around doing a yo-yo, why wouldn't you think you were going the wrong way on yeah. accident? Like, shit. Yeah, we didn't. I mean, you and I, we didn't really make much of a deal of what you were doing. Yeah. Uh, at some point along the race, we just updated your – uh, dot to be purple and yeah uh, it, it said yo-yo on there and then um, at some point you made a social media post about you know what you were doing i think yeah yeah so i was like okay it's cool to I, talk I, about. I, yeah i told most of my friends like this was this was like you said the original plan that was my intent was to come down and do the yo-yo and the way the yo-yo has always been explained to me is that you have to tell the race director before the race and if you don't finish it, it's a DNF. Like yeah. you can't switch distances. It's kind of right. like your cog on the bike. Like you, yep. you've got to finish with what you start with. Yeah. Um. So that that day was a little bit more humid. That would have been Sunday. Yes. Yep. Sunday. Sunday. Because you finished on Monday. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because it was. I hit Grove, Old Grovetown Road, Old Alaska Road. Those are great when it's dry. They are terrible if they're wet. They were they were still pretty dry, but it was kind of hot. And I was realizing at this point in time I hadn't been taking care of myself like I normally do. So before I usually go to sleep, um, uh, definitely take all of your clothes off because you want everything to, to breathe and to dry out. And normally I take some baby powder I'll flip my socks inside out. I'll put baby powder on the inside. I'll I'll clank out my shoes. I'll put baby baby powder on the soles. Put baby powder on the underwear, and then I'll take um, uh, wet wipes and I'll clean my face. I'll clean my armpits. I'll clean I'll clean pretty much anything that needs to be cleaned. Hmm. And then it's kind of like a little bit of a shower, you know. And sometimes I've got um, hand sanitizer too. I re I just realized for whatever reason. On that third day, I'm like, oh, I haven't been doing that. <laughs> and I was starting to feel a bit crusty. Yeah. You know, and you feel crusty, then like he kind of mentally gets to you and wears you down a little bit. So, um, yeah, the third day, I'm trying to think of where I, I got to. But, I, yeah, I passed that town 
by Jacksonville. There was nobody there in that little mobile place. I remember talking to the lady and the the work the worker at the Chevron station in Jacksonville. I said, "Hey, do you remember me?" <laughs> she started laughing, and there was another worker there, a guy, and we were talking about the guy who uh, finished first this year in like under twenty four hours. And he said that he had done the race. He thought he was the same person that did the race last year, and he had to drop out. Is that true or mm -hmm. no? Okay, so maybe he got them confused. But yeah. it was his first ever event, Kuya, that won mm -hmm. and never ridden past one hundred seventy miles before. That's so cool. It was his first event like this. Yeah. Yes. Just like, I'll double it and then some. Yeah. So I was talking to them about the race and everything and, and just what was going on in my head. And the whole time out there was, for me, it was one of the, one of the mental things was like, I wanted to remember uh, how Russell and I wanted to remember my father and just kind of like think of kind of go back on that whole entire timeline of our life and just like remember all of the good things that we got to share and then um I also lost my my dog in February last February so that was really tough um pepper no pepper I had oh. just gotten pepper but I lost Roscoe and it was strange because um I had to like make the decision to put him down and then I also made the decision to to bury him myself on my golf course or the golf course that I live on. And the next day I had a panic attack and I've never had a panic attack before, but I pretty much realized immediately what was happening. And I had to go out and meet a client in about an hour. So I stopped and I did, I did yoga and I did meditation and it felt like I was on like three hits of acid. I was like, and I couldn't control it. And I was like, I don't know what the fuck is happening right now. If I get pulled over, they're going to think I'm drunk. And it lasted for about eight hours. And I was out to like dinner with this guy and I didn't eat anything. I was just drinking water. And I told him, I was like, I'm having a panic attack. And I couldn't tell him why, because I hadn't told anybody that my dog had died. And I didn't want to just start crying in the middle of the restaurant. So that was a very interesting experience. And um, I was very vulnerable. I opened up about it on social media and it was very interesting because I had probably 10 people, I'd say at least 10 people reach out to me and they were like, A, like I support you if you need anything, B, like I've had panic attacks my whole life. So if you ever need advice or ways to work through it and deal with one, if if you have another one, how to deal with it, let me know. Yeah, That was very interesting. Like I've heard of people having panic attacks, but I've never understood them. Yeah, I've suffered from panic attacks since I was 14. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have extremely bad uh, anxiety that mm. has taken me almost a lifetime to manage, and it really sucks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Getting past that is what's allowed me to kind of get into bikepacking, mm -hmm. the podcast, all these things. But before, I was just like, well, you know what it's like. It's like, yeah. It's, just, it's next level. It's intense, man. It is really yeah. next level. Yeah. Although meditating does help. Like mm -hmm. after you and I talked at episode four, mm -hmm. you you were telling me about meditation. Um, I got into uh, Sam Harris's Waking Up mm -hmm. app, uh, which I really like. And um, I don't meditate all the time, but I got comfortable with the practice and what I like about it. And the way Sam Harris teaches it is it's more like of a tool you know, you'd be a, you'd be in a meeting with a client and 
you know, just like center yourself real quick or in line at a grocery store or whatever. You don't always have to be in a dark room mm-hmm. or, you know, crisscross applesauce or, or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, it's yeah. like, that's nice too, but, you know, learning how to use it as a tool and kind of calm your mind, it, it actually does help. It's, um, and then it's, it becomes more available. Yeah. It, yeah. It's a resource you can like yeah. call on when you need it. That's what, that's how he teaches it. And it's very practical and he's a neuroscientist. So I figure he might know what he's doing yeah, a little bit. He's smart. <laughs> he's a smart cookie. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's, you know, meditating and, and biking and for me are, are can be similar in the, in the right circumstances. And, and for me, this was, there was some meditation out there and there was a lot of, you know, looking up at the stars and, um, watching the beautiful sunsets. I saw, I saw a shooting star that third night. That was pretty cool. Um, the dogs, you want to talk about the dogs? dogs. Oh man. I met so many amazing dogs and I apologize. Uh, Pepper didn't get to make it down here, Pepper Cook. Uh, so I was going to actually go out on my second lap and take pictures of dogs and send them to her so she could see the puppies. And um, all the dogs that chased me, I stopped, and I tried to get them to come over and, and get a treat, and they were just barking from afar. <laughs> so I say if I had to guess, I probably had on both, this is total, maybe 20 dogs come out and chase me. But it wasn't even a chase. I, I'm very used to dogs. I feel comfortable around them now on the bike. There was only one that was coming at me, and it looked like he had the intent to bite me. And it was on pavement, and I immediately slammed on the brakes and swung over to it was my left side, non-drive side, because he was he was coming out on the drive side, and uh, he he turned around. And I was like, "Yeah, that's right, you motherfucker!" Like I was, <laughs> I fucking, I was swearing at him because it, it was fast. And um, it's funny though; he it's had a good the intent tip for people that when you just stop, it's kind of yep. counterintuitive. Yep, it's but very if, counterintuitive. If, if you don't, if you don't like the dogs chasing you, just mm-hmm. stop. Yep, they like to chase you. And so, really, a calm voice. Like when they're coming out, I'm like, hey, buddy, oh, good boy. Like, woo, yeah, come on. Like, mm-hmm. If they're chasing you and they're barking and their tail is wagging, they're not trying to harm you. It's it's always like a territory thing and they're just trying to greet you. Um, it's just pretty easy to tell if like there there's any malice behind it. Most of them are super friendly. And a lot like I didn't I didn't get to feed any dogs on this trip because like I said, they they wouldn't come up to me. On the Arkansas High Country race, I fed three or four different dogs. And there was one dog where I, I pinned him on the map as he was very malnourished. He didn't have a collar. And when I I was actually going to drop out of the race, it was at like mile 800. And when I went to text the race director, I didn't have any service on my phone. So I marked it on my Google Maps. I finished the race and I drove three hours down there to see if I could find him the next day and I couldn't. Oh, no. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, at least I tried. Yeah. But I have a video of like me feeding the dog. I gave him uh, two packages of crackers. I'm like, here you go. Like, he was so sweet. But so dealing with dogs, talk to them in a good manner. Uh, if that doesn't work, I usually, then I, then I step it up to commands. I'm like, sit, sit. And that really confuses them. Um, and the, the third thing is just stop, stop your bike. They will turn around or they will stop and they'll realize like, oh shit, 
Like it is all about the chase for them. And I've heard that the cassette noise mm. kind of drives them crazy, but I have an Onyx rear hub, so it's quiet. So maybe that's why they like me. I don't know. Ooh. Yeah, the nasty hornet yeah. bee sound going down the my even the, <laughs> the cat, cat just was reacted like, no to it. Way. <laughs> Not up in here. So, so how did the rest of your, uh, how did the rest of the ride go? I mean, did you ever have any other issues? Obviously, dogs weren't a problem. Your mm, knee. No, no. Um, so yeah, I got through that third night, and and the legs, like the my quads are sore. They're so sore. Um, <laughs> I had blisters on my hands from having too much movement on the handlebars, and what I like the biggest learnable for me was just get off and walk your bike when the hills are too steep. And I was, the first day I was powering through everything and I was just like, like thinking that I could just do that for 760 miles with, with my level of training is, is just not sustainable. So that's where like I, the injuries or uh, potential injuries came, came from was me doing it wrong yeah like and i remember talking to Lindsay shepherd after the arkansas high country race and she's like man it's so great like you can only do so much and then you just you just walk the rest of the hills and it feels really good to just get off your bike and walk you know right. she's so positive um and i just i didn't i didn't do that enough i didn't walk my bike enough i should have walked it more um and then i i really i think i would say Let's see, where did I sleep that third night? Uh, oh, I wanted to find a church because my batteries were kind of low and I was, start was starting to look at the time and I'm like, if I don't get back on Monday, like I might have like another four hours of night riding to do and my phone is already at 30%. But I, when I pulled up my phone, there was no churches even remotely close and I was 30 miles from the next stop. So I started looking for camp spots and then, you know, I found a really remote place out there. So I had a weird, weird sleep on the third night. Um, I checked my, I checked the weather before I went to sleep and then all my notifications popped up and I had some work emails and I was like dreaming about work and, and it was a weird dream and I didn't sleep well the third night. Uh, I think I did end up getting about four hours of sleep and woke up at, I think it was about nine again. Uh, so got on the road at nine. Good day that last day. It's, you know, you kind of realize, hey, things are wrapping up and you just kind of go at your own pace. And I knew there was, in the forecast, there was a chance of rain. I could feel the humidity coming in. I remember stopping at our family dollar to visit Sue and, and the other coworker. And she pulled up the weather and she's like, can you get there by seven? And I was like, oh, I can get there by seven, even though I knew like it probably wasn't going to happen. She's like, what's well, coming in at seven? And I said, all right. And I, I took a selfie with them that I'll, I'll share later because they were really cool. And it, it was so different because there's the, the whole, the whole way. And I think it was Sunday was, was really interesting. I don't know if like people in Texas just like don't do anything on Sundays or if they're very religious, maybe that's a thing, but like no dogs on Sunday 
no traffic. Because I like, made the joke to myself, like, are all the dogs at church? Like, where are like where did they go? There's none. Anyways, they were tired from they, chasing. I, everybody I was the like, days and that was before. the other joke. Was like maybe they're maybe they're so exhausted yeah, from chasing the riders. They've never seen that much activity. Yeah, it's a little much. That's funny. So yeah, Monday saw them and. I had so 90 miles left and um, I had a few few stops planned, but I just wasn't, I wasn't drinking a lot of water and I wasn't eating a lot of food. So I was just trying to keep the bike light and just go at kind of a steady pace. And I got to Trinity and it started to sprinkle and I pulled up my phone and it said, no chance of rain. So I was like, okay, we'll just roll with it. And I put on like this blue kind of windbreaker running jacket. And I got in between, so it's in between Trinity and I think Riverside. And so it's nine miles to Riverside from Trinity. And about mile three, it just, it started downpouring. And I was like, oh shit. But I had looked at the weather and I knew that it was going to be, it was going to stay warm. So I didn't even bother getting my rain clothes out. And, um, I, I probably spent a good 20 minutes just riding in the downpour. And, and that was, for me, that was my moment of this race because I started to cry a little bit and it wasn't, it wasn't like, uh, feeling sorry for myself or anything, but it was just like gratitude. And I was like, Hey man, you're almost there. Like, here's a little bit of rain. Like, let's wash off some of that dirt Let's clean you up a little bit. Let's refresh you, you know. And I was thinking of the Bob Marley quote where he's like, some people feel the rain, other other people just get wet, you know, like and how beautiful it is to be out in the rain and something we used to do as a, a kid with my brother all the time. And now as an adult, like you barely go out and you probably never go jump around in rain puddles and stuff like right. that. So once again, another beautiful thing that bikepacking presented me with was, hey, let's play in the rain for a bit. And by the time I got back to point blank, because that was about 30 miles, so about three hours, I was damn near dry. <laughs> and it was warm. So as long as it's warm, I'm okay. Yeah. You know, it was probably 70 degrees still. How did it feel to finish? It felt really good. Um, and I was really hungry and that was kind of my motivation as I looked up the hours of the grill and I'm like, shoot, they close at nine. Like, let's kick it up a little bit. Okay. So I did push that, that last 80 miles. I pushed a little hard. So the knees were, were barking. The, the, the thighs, the quads are still really just like, you know, they, they rode 760 miles on a single speed. That's how they feel. And I, I went in and I've been eating vegetarian for almost four months now and I just I just really wanted something a little bit more hearty so I, I got a chicken fried steak yeah. and some mashed potatoes and some fried pickles yeah and downed a couple coca-colas and yeah put my bike away and I found a hotel room and I slept like eight hours like clockwork and I woke up and it's funny my face was still like really puffy it's still and a I, little bit but yeah, yeah I was bad. like well it's time to eat some more Advil um <laughs> But it's it's kind of surreal, you know, when you're out there. Four days is is three and a half days is a long time, and you're in when you when you kind of shut everything off. It just reminds me, 
of like, I can't wait for like that to be my life. Mm. Like I was out there thinking like, in two years, this is going to be all you have. This is going to be everything. Oh, I'm so excited. (laughs) I'm so excited. You Um, are the only person that has ridden the route in reverse. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. um, you're the expert. Yeah. Which way is best? I so I I don't know for whatever reason I enjoyed the second lap more. I think probably one of the reasons is it takes me a couple hundred miles to like get warmed up and mm-hmm. remember what I'm doing again. Sure. But I I I don't know why, but I I do know why, and I liked it better this the in reverse the second route because it felt more like I was riding into the sunset, mm-hmm. and I'm like this like hopeless romantic sunset person where like i like to i like to see the sun as it's setting Mm -hmm. and the first night it was kind of behind me and so i kept having to stop and look because i didn't want to miss it i'm like ah sunset sunset and the on the reverse route it was more in front of me and that was like a big deciding factor for me i have some breaking news yeah so last night this just in yeah um, (laughs) let's let's go uh yeah i mean that the death loop was made out of necessity um there was another route that was way more dangerous Mm -hmm. and i really wanted to loop in that section of sam houston national forest um but i had an idea i was just sitting here i was thinking about it um and i was like i i solved the death loop like Mm -hmm. i don't even think we can call it the death loop anymore because it's gonna be so nice (laughs) (laughs) it's just gonna be like way way i i just had this like i'm like dude the road's right i'm like oh oh you get Oh. And then it just like I was like, oh, this is way better. So I think I think the death you got loop. Something well, I, you that, that might be the last year of the death loop. I don't know. Okay, we'll, we'll see. Because of the the, the, sa- the, the safety is the only issue. The mileage will go up though, closer to four hundred. Okay, yeah. So it's going to add a little mileage, but you're going to be more in the forest, more gravel mm-hmm. roads, that kind of stuff. And there's just, I mean, I kind of like the hill coming out. It's a pain in the ass. Everybody hates it, mm-hmm. so that makes me like it. But it's the one lane, fast traffic part. That's the stuff that I try to avoid, like a plague. And I hit it at just at the worst time. Yeah, of day. you just hit. And it I realized that on the on the way back, I'm like, yeah, you, you couldn't start the race here because at 8 a.m. with 100 riders out there going that way it would be crazy. We're gonna try to. So the idea is is that we'll do whatever that loop is. Whatever we're gonna call, it. maybe we'll call it Hell Loop instead of Death Loop. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, we'll do that one first, and then. That'll be cool because, like, if you're at the bullet as a spectator, you'll be able to see the front of the race come by. Yeah. Um, but what People it'll also be spaced do, out just a little bit. We're gonna go. We're either gonna have the option to run it either way, or we're gonna run it in reverse. Mm-hmm. Um, and that'll get us over that. Uh, that bridge going into on Alaska there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a part people don't like because of debris and traffic and stuff. But I think if we do, did it in the morning and we kind of had everything bunched together, we might be able to get the the city to provide a, a cop or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe put up some flashers or a sign. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, at a minimum, clean it so you can yeah, ride the they've shoulder. they've got the huge shoulder there. There, there is a yeah. huge shoulder. That's the thing. But it was just, there was so much debris that yep. you couldn't really use it. So at a minimum, get it cleaned up. But what I was finding is like, especially if you're one of the, like the faster riders, if you ride it, uh, you know, clockwise, the way it's intended, the way I would ride it, um, 
you miss all of Davy Crockett National Forest because it's in the dark. I mm -hmm. mean, you hit it, but you don't get to see it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think most people are actually missing it. Even if they're going slower, they might camp at Salmon Lake. And then they're still coming through Davy Crockett in the middle of the night. And so, um, yeah, next year, we're going to start it off that way. Sweet. And we'll just see how it goes. But And, yeah, you'll have to see how that works for you, um, obviously, with, as a race director from the logistical standpoint. But, yeah, and you could even go – I know some races are – they switch, they alternate it every year. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, all it's, that, your, it's your all adventure. I think next year it'll probably be reverse, and mm -hmm. then we'll get the beta from that, and then you know we're just going to grow and get better every single year. Mm -hmm. Overall, what do you think about the route? You've ridden all over. You've ridden across yeah. America. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think? How was it? I liked it. I did. Yeah. Uh, really good people. Roads were great. Perfect amount of like good amount of gravel. Some of it was chunky, um, and I can just see it being completely different if it's raining. Oh, God. You know, like I brought a paint stick just in case, <laughs> yeah. like like I said, overpacking. I, I, I thought drivers were very, very courteous. Um, Blue bonnets was, or wildflowers? This is a good time yes, of year for yeah. wildflowers. So I did, so that's I did kind see of those thing. wildflowers. The blue bonnets were – there was one field. It was behind a school. It was, it, it almost looked fake. It was so, so beautiful. And then there was some, what were the yellow ones? I don't know. Uh, black Eyed Susans, probably. There's a lot of Black Eyed black Susans Black Eyed Susans. <laughs> There's some sandy sections. So it's got a little bit of everything. Um, what do you think I about think it's the, a good mix. the pine trees? I mean, kind of, the, mm. I mean, mm. other than they're like important in terms of like, uh, it's a defining feature of this region. Yeah. You know, the pine curtain of Texas. Um, but the that. nice thing is, is sense. they provide, uh, you know, from wind, from heat, it's yeah. some protection, you know, so I think that's kind of one of the nice things about this. I, one, I, you're I, not would, always I would say, um, anybody out there that likes hammock camping, this would be a great route for hammock camping. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's pine trees everywhere and I love sleeping under pines anyways. There was one section on the route and, um, I wish I had marked the mileage down, but at both times, I'm trying to think of where it was at, it was an overwhelming smell of pine, and that's, like, one of my top three smells in the world, and I was just like, oh, I'm, like, be here now, like, yeah. this is amazing. Be here now, what a place to be. Yeah. That's a Lumineer quote, I think. Okay, yeah. Be here now, what a place to they're, be. They're from Austin, I think, yeah. I think so. Yeah. I'm not a, I'm not, I don't know a lot about music. Um, I would bring, uh, and recommend some, uh, sunscreen, uh, chapstick. Like my lips are beat up right now. <laughs> they are crusty. There's all those gas stations on the way, man. I know. Like <laughs> no, I said, I'm like, I really didn't take care of myself. Yeah. Um, experience got me through that race. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was thinking too. I mean, you, uh, you're coming in with a lot of experience, you know, what adversity is, you know, what hard times are and. Even if your body isn't where you want it to be and stuff, that that it, what did you call it? A cookie. You had you have so many cookies in your cookie jar that um, you can just start eating on those. You're like, oh yeah, that cookie. Let me eat that mm -hmm. one for a little while. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I I was like, 
I mean, a bar, yeah, you had some feelings and some current concerns, which are legitimate, but you know, bar something crazy happened. I'm like, this, you know, you, you got this. Yeah. I know you're new to single speed. Yeah. You're still, you're like warming your way back into cycling and, and these longer events and stuff. Mm -hmm. But I was like, yeah, Andy's got this. There's mm -hmm. no doubt. When people were like, he's doing what? Does he know what he's doing? I'm like, yeah, he knows what he's doing. I would say I slightly underestimated the, the route. Most people yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. And I went out too fast. Like, And any advice I could give anybody is, um, I think it was Brian Still that told me this, like you can't can't win the race on the first day, but you can sure shit lose it. Yeah, yeah. that's it. That's it. <laughs> can't win it on the first day, yeah. but you can lose it. And it's them. just so hard. Even on a single speed, like I kind of got caught up with like staying up with people, yeah. you know? Yeah, even at mile 200, you mm -hmm. pack catches up to you like, oh, I want to go with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, and here I am again. So, yeah, it's a, it's a great route. Well, we're touching on three hours, and I got to go pick up. Oh, shit, my, you got kids. Yeah, it yeah. happens fast, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but what what's, uh, I mean, we know where you're going to Iowa, Wyndham Rock, but yeah. what are you doing today? Like you, I got to uh, drive 16 hours. So yeah. I got my bivy bag in the car. Yeah. On the way down here, I, I slept outside of a church in Oklahoma until it rained. But uh, I, I can always bivy up somewhere. Yeah. But um, real quick, uh, I'm also a race director for an amazing event called Salida to the Sea. And you can find that on bike registration. It's a free event. It is a 2,000-mile bikepacking event that starts in Salida, Colorado. goes to Port Orford, Oregon. So it's actually the last 2,000 miles of the American Trail That's Race. <laughs> Myself and Brian Steele are hosting that. We do a, a group camp out the night before, and it's a really special event. So we're hoping to get maybe 30 people for that this year. It's uh, a great route. Brian's going to head out on a, a motorcycle, I think, in July and scout some parts and maybe change a little bit of it around. And then also, yeah, if you want to follow me on Instagram. Uh, Wait a second. When, it, when is the sea? Oh, sorry. Slide, slide of the, the sea, sea is going to be August 31st of this year. August 31st. Yep. And so the camp out will be the 30th. Cool. And uh, will that be on like bikepacking.com or how will people? Uh, I ha I, we've, we've had it on there before. I'm sure they, they'll put in. Yeah, the first there. year we were going to do it was COVID, so it got canceled. Yeah. And then we had it on there last year. And um, I think, it, is it Miles that does those mm -hmm. emails? Yep, I just got to email yeah. him. Yep. Yep. Awesome. So, very excited about that. And well, then. What was the next thing you were going to say? Oh, uh, so I am starting a Facebook page and Instagram page called Cycling Kindness. And if you follow me on there, I don't have a lot of stuff. There's like maybe two posts. But in two years when I do travel around the world, I'm pretty much going to switch everything over to that media account if you want to check it out. I won't try and sell you anything, I promise. <laughs> I just want to share love and beauty and compassion from around the world. Yeah. Yeah. I'll definitely be following and it'll be fun to like have you on the podcast from time to time and be like, so what happened in the last six months? Or Dude, whatever? I'll call in from wherever. Do call in, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's, I, I don't, I have no expectations except the only goal I have is for five, five years, yeah. at least five years. That's and awesome I have enough. to get to Africa because that's like, even though I think on podcast four, I talked about Africa, like wanting to go to Africa. It's just it's, it's, it's always you. it's always been on my list. Okay. Yeah, so check it off. Yeah, actually, I have a great book that I'll I'll send you uh, when I get home. It's about a bicycle traveler in Africa. It's really cool. And he will because the last time he was on the <laughs> podcast, 
he brought up uh, let my people go surfing. Oh, and yeah. uh, you didn't even tell me, but I just showed up in, in my mailbox one day and I was like, oh, what a nice guy. Yeah. Like Yvonne Chenard. Yvonne Chenard. That's yeah, Patagonia. Book. Yeah, good book. And, uh, you know, for a person uh, like me, and maybe if you want to, you know, try to, uh, you know, do anything with your storytelling on your travels and stuff, but like how to run a business. Uh, Business and, and commerce is the system that we have. Mm-hmm. So, like, how to run it and operate a, a, a good business in the system, you know? And yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of value there because there's a lot of people that probably listen to this podcast and do this kind of stuff that um, appreciate, you know, a, a business that does good and mm-hmm. isn't just good at making money or yeah. making products, but is also doing good in the world, you know? Yeah. We have some environmental concerns, real legit concerns that we may be facing and we're starting to face and let's uh band together and fix things do better ride more ride your bike more did you listen to the emma flukes podcast it came out the wednesday before the race so it's brand new oh no i'll download it for my trip home she uh you'll like it because she's a well maybe not like this but it'll resonate with you mm-hmm. uh, because she's a marine biologist or marine scientist in tassie which is south of australia mm-hmm. um and uh very smart and we banter on the internet and i kind of hear what she says about the future of and so i asked her i'm like how fucked are we and she was like oh we're very fucked <laughs> i knew you were gonna say that Ugh. Uh, and, yeah. and, but, but I'll let you listen and, uh, anybody else out there, she, um, the, these are real issues that we, uh, we get tied, like tied up in other things. And there's a lot of important things, but one of the most, if not the most important is the world that we live on is getting too hot for us to continue to live here in the mm-hmm. way that we know mm-hmm. it right now. And, and that's real. I actually, you've read it last night. I got home. I was just doom scrolling on the internet and they're like scientists warn the time is now <laughs> like right now mm, <laughs> or mm. 10 years ago or whatever but yeah yeah anyway mm. i'll let you listen to that on your way home fuck yeah appreciate it i don't it. think i'll have this one out in time for you to listen on your way home but yeah, uh, <laughs> no, hey congratulations to you on a successful and amazing bikepacking event and also your growth and positivity throughout the podcast um it's been monumental for a lot of people. So cheers to you. Uh, I see Thanks, you. Buddy. I acknowledge you. Respect you. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, man. I'm lucky. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm just lucky that people care enough to listen. I don't, I don't really know, but it is fun. I really enjoy getting an opportunity to meet people who I respect and I want to get to know. I want to understand them a little bit better. And I get to share that and, and other people are bending from that as well. So it's, I mean, you know, you talk about doing things in your life that are fulfilling and bring you joy. Mm-hmm. You know, this brings me a lot of happiness. And so, you know, on many levels, it's very hard work. But I mean, what in life is worth you know, what it what is it, like everything in worth life? Uh, Anything everything. that's ever worth doing is going to be easy. Yeah, it's going to be hard. Whatever. We're still in post-race recovery mode. You from riding and uh, me from, I mean, running an uh, event like this is its own endurance sport. It's more of like a mental fatigue because there's problems coming in 
to you or mm-hmm. just or just interacting with people i mean it's like it's you're managing like all these things it's all cerebral and i found like my brain was just like trying to shut down it was like <laughs> you know before like the last uh, little hurrah party and the send off to everybody i had to like go take a shower and like peck myself up because i was like i was like checking out i was like you got to be here you mm-hmm. know so uh but no it was, it was good i'm very grateful and it's been a lot of fun and I mean, it's allowed me to meet you. I mean, you've been a part of this journey since the very beginning, and it's just yeah. kind of—it's fun to fun to be able to do this and um, you know share share people's stories. And um, I appreciate you coming on and sharing yours, and I appreciate you uh, coming out and uh, showing people uh, expanding their minds with you know specifically the East Texas Showdown or anything that they do because that wasn't on the radar for a lot of people. You know, yeah. no one was thinking yo-yo. I didn't put yo-yo out there. It wasn't a race category. You just were like, hey, it's yo-yo time, you know, and I've, I love that shit, man. Let's see who throws down next year. Hey, the gauntlet has been thrown. We had, uh, I mean, a new men's FKT. We had a new women's FKT. We had a yo-yo this year. Yeah. Uh, we had a great pro slow winner, so mm-hmm. uh, it's just going to be, a, uh, it's just going to get better and better, man, and, and it's only because of the people. It's uh, good people keep coming and good people are going to keep talking about it and attracting other good people. And mm-hmm. yeah, we're just going to keep throwing down at the East Texas showdown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, boy, get back to Illinois. All right, brother. Thank All you right. so much. Peace. Peace. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. And again, thank you to Indy for coming all the way out to Texas throwing down at the East Texas Showdown twice and then coming over to record this episode for the podcast. You know, you may have remembered that I mentioned we were going to be releasing daily recap podcast episodes of the East Texas Showdown. You may also realize that that didn't happen. And that is because I took on a lot more during this event than I realized and, you know, just simply took on too much and wasn't able to uh, produce an episode every single day. But we have tons of audio call-ins from riders uh, during the event and even some have uh, called in after. And what we're doing now is compiling all those and we're going to be releasing that as next week's episode. So I think it's still going to be an absolute banger of an episode. I've, I've been listening to some of the call-ins and uh, they're really great. It's a totally different format for the episode and it would have been cool to release it in real time. Uh, but this is going to be super cool as well. And uh, next year we get to try, try again. And uh, you know what? Always learning, always improving. And I enjoy the process. And as always, you get to be along for the ride. Well, as I mentioned in the intro, I am hoping to get out to Moab, Utah here in the next couple of weeks, interview a couple special guests that I've been trying to catch up with for a while. I'd say one of the biggest challenges right now to producing these episodes is the money it takes to travel. If you would like to help support Bikes for Death and get us out there on the road and and, uh, capturing these interviews, meeting amazing people and bringing them right to your earbuds, the best way to do that is to head over to patreon.com forward slash bikes for death. Throw a few dollars or a few hundred dollars into the pot or a few thousand. We don't have a a cap. So uh, let your conscience be your guide. And check in with your accountant first before you write a big check. But 
everything y'all can do helps us a little bit more to produce these episodes and we really can't do it without you. So thank you very much. And also remember to check out today's episode sponsors, uh, athleticgreens.com forward slash bikes or death and Ruby Coffee Roasters. Use bikes or death at checkout, all one word, for 15% off any coffee purchase or 20% off the first shipment of a subscription. Thank you all for being here today. I fucking love this shit. I love y'all so much. I am riding on a big time high from the East Texas showdown. It was a mega success and I'm mega stoked and I am already wanting it to be 2023 so I can see all you fine folks again and hopefully some new faces. But until then, don't forget, go ride your damn bike. It was the middle of the night. Grab your knife and you held it tight. The sounds of beasts kept you awake. The sounds they made kept you afraid. In the morning, you packed your bike. Memories forgotten from the previous night. You rode faster than ever before. Was it your imagination or merely folklore? Fear turned into strength as you pushed further. Every pedal stroke, stronger and firmer. Your bike feels weightless, your legs aren't tired. You think to yourself, just a few more miles. Bikes for death. Bikes for death. Podcast.